This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. You ready for uh, another day? It's not easy, is it? But this is Friday. It's Friday. It's Friday. La 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 day. Um, this is going to be a great show. Man alive! Have we got a lot to talk about today? Remember, this is the show where we try to give you the tools, the insight you need into what's going on in your world. Normally, a news show, you might get a two-minute story on some of the big news issues. We'd go a little deeper, 35 minutes or so, to talk about... Everything you need to know. Now, Trump, Donald Trump, been in the news like crazy, right? In fact, uh, did you know that he has a new book coming out? The day of the debate, he will be launching a new book called Time to Get Tough, as if Donald needs to get tougher. He's out there uh, throwing, you know, throwing his weight around, and a lot of people feel like he's a bully. And if you look in the eyes of the 15 other GOP candidates that have to face him in debates— you can see the eyes of very scared people, terrified to have to face the Trumpster. On the show today, Dr. Stephen Albrecht will be joining us, and he um, he's an expert in bullying and uh, in workplace violence and dealing with difficult people in the workplace. Today he's going to be talking to us about what he calls the Trump effect and um, how Trump may be symbolizing for some, you know, a bully. We've all experienced a bully somewhere, either, you know, out on the playground or maybe in the boardroom. And uh, Dr. Steve Albrecht will be joining us talking about that. Workplace bullies. Holy cow. I've got to thank Kathy for a a really incredible 24 hours. Are you loving it? Uh, It's interesting. So Kathy's son hooked me up with a car to, to test drive. And? I love it. It's fantastic. But I realized <laughs> I knew there was a but. I just realized what a horrible driver I am. Uh oh. Because this is a car that basically does everything for you. Mm-hmm. In fact, it made me breakfast. <laughs> Awkward. And uh, it's like, please reach in the glove compartment. <laughs> and I pulled out a breakfast hot pocket. It was yummy. But uh, so this car, we won't mention names, uh, but it is a Bugatti. It's a very expensive car. <laughs> And um, but it it makes sure that I change lanes appropriately. Mm-hmm. It makes sure that I um, I can set it so I don't run into the car in front of me. In fact, I was in bumper to bumper traffic, and it would just move my car, and then it would when the traffic moved, my car would move, and it would stop, and my car would move, and it would stop. It was brilliant. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. And then what else did it do? Oh, it I have blind spots. I mean, a lot of people don't know that. Everybody has blind spots. And this car's telling me about when a car's in my blind spot. Mm-hmm. It does everything. And it I was neurotic driving to work today. <laughs> you're afraid you're gonna get in an accident? Well, I'm just realizing I'm a horrible driver. Because the alarms all, the sounds all these alarms off. are going off the entire drive. <laughs> it's incredible. We always talk about the cars that are self driving. Mm-hmm. This is a self driving car. I could sleep. All the way I to was work. wondering if you were going to do that this morning. I was getting nervous. I was oh. actually looking to make sure you weren't near me uh-huh. when I was driving. Yeah. In. 
I passed you twice. <laughs> is the weirdest thing. Oh, that is weird. But it is it is it is really cool. I I wow. It's my kids even liked it. It's got a the whole roof is a sunroof. Oh, isn't that gorgeous? I love that panoramic. And especially panoramic sunroof, with the blue moon. Yes, we're so going to talk about we that. We just went out in the car last night and just sat. Just and opened that up. We, yeah, we just sat there all night, <laughs> just looking. My kids are like, "Can we go to bed?" No. <laughs> Let's go one more time on the freeway. I want to show you how I almost hit this car, but I don't. Anyway, it's so cool. Do I try, my son treat you well. He's incredible. By the way, good-looking boy. Yeah. He's a I looker. Know, we need to find him. If a wife. anybody is looking for a ruggedly good-looking, he looks like a supermodel, a male supermodel. Mm-hmm. He's very handsome. Uh. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to get him married off, which I think is why he doesn't call me as much anymore because I, I I nag him. Yeah, but if if you if you're looking, how old is he? Twenty. Twenty four. Twenty four year old. I mean, really good looking guy. Mm-hmm. Just give us a call one eight five five four two two. It's actually one eight five five chat. Shoot me over this one for sure. But he, he really is a good-looking guy, and he totally took care of me. He set everything up in the car for me. Yep. Gassed it up for Gassed you. Gassed it up. Yeah. Holy cow. One problem. Yeah. I forgot my wallet in my other car. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Uh-oh, I'm driving without a wallet. Uh-oh. I better I, call him and make sure we get you that. Yeah, I didn't realize it until I was like in line to get food at our drive through <laughs> Great. I thought it made you breakfast. You didn't have to pay. Oh, great point. It doesn't do lunch. It's the <laughs> oh, worst lunch. car that way. Okay. Honestly, our cars are crazy cool. That's Isn't awesome. Amazing? Yeah. I, I you know, now me, I'm in a the, quandary. The favorite thing to me and it, that you talked about, I bought another car and mm-hmm. it does not have backup camera. And the one that I traded in is similar to yours. It did have backup yes. camera. I miss that terribly. The backup camera is oh, huge. That, it is huge. You know what? I even found like myself. I have to look now. Yeah, now you got to look like over your shoulder. Do you remember the old days when you look over the shoulder? Yeah. I actually drove around my entire neighborhood backwards using the backwards camera, which I think sweet? it defeats the purpose. But I mean, just the clarity. I yeah. also realized my driveway's got some cracks in it. Yeah, that helps show things. Uh, the nice thing too is when you have to parallel park, you know, you help so you don't mess oh, up your rims. Oh my heavens! Yeah, I didn't even try really that. Nice, I'm yeah. going to try that yeah. today. That's your next thing. <laughs> There's all this stuff I'm trying. I mean, I took it off road last night. We oh, probably shouldn't we say went that. Four wheeling. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's probably not meant for that. <laughs> yeah, it's not. That's awesome. I, I don't know what to do now because I really like it, but I've got other questions. Mm-hmm. I'll answer them for you. Just I know. Ask him. Yeah. No pressure. Do you think they'd let me just borrow the car for like a couple more months? I think so. Yeah. Sweet. I even met the dealer owner. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. He's a great guy. Blake. Yep, very good guy. Great guy. Yep. Anyway, I'm more not going to tell you the brand, but the brand, a Bugatti. <laughs> it's like zero to 60 in a second. Amazing. And you have to wear a cervical collar. Uh, let's go check out the headlines, see what's going on there, Kathy. Good morning, everyone. The part of an airplane wing that washed up on a remote island in the Indian Ocean has the serial number that, that officials say belonged to a Boeing 777 aircraft. French authorities are sending the piece to southern France for analysis, and it could arrive as early as tomorrow. Beach cleaners are handing over anything they find over to the investigators. Even if the debris is confirmed to be from the missing Malaysian airline flight, there's no guarantee investiga- investigators could find what they really need. That's the vital black box recorders. The University of Cincinnati policeman who was indicted on murder charges this week has pleaded not guilty. County prosecutors say ten, uh, Ray Tenzing killed Samuel Dubo 
After losing his temper during a traffic stop, Tenzing was released on bond last night and his next court date is scheduled for August 19th. Zimbabwe officials are asking the United States to extradite Walter Palmer, the man who admitted to killing Cecil the Lion. U.S. officials have also launched an investigating investigation into the hunt that Palmer thought was done legally. Here's Nick Pinizzotto, CEO of pro hunting group Sportsman Alliance. You see many people putting the lives of human beings behind the lives of animals, and that's a scary proposition for anybody. According to a British newspaper, one of Palmer's guides who was charged with poaching said Palmer also wanted to shoot a large elephant but was told they couldn't find one. The Minnesota dentist hasn't been seen publicly since the controversy erupted. Beijing was announced this morning as the site for the new 2022 Winter Olympic Games. The Chinese capital is the first ever chosen to host both a Winter and Summer Olympics. The Summer Games were played there in 2008. Some activists aren't happy with the Beijing selection, citing China's poor history on human rights. Blue moon, you saw me standing alone. And Matt, did you notice Without that beautiful blue moon I with did. your panoramic sunroof open <laughs> this totally morning did. as you're driving away in? Mine so, wasn't blue. I know. That's what they're saying. It's not blue. Yeah. It's only blue if there's volcanic ash in the air, which, I mean, how often does that happen? <laughs> Thankfully not So often. a blue moon happens only about every two and a half years because the lunar year and the calendar year don't quite match up. The last blue moon was in August of 2012, and the next one won't occur until January of 2018. Mm. So, yeah, this was very rare. Nice to see. And who was singing that song, by the way? Uh, Sinatra. Very Franklin good. Delano's. Yes. I don't know his yeah. name. We were uh, looking up, and we found one from Elvis Presley. And, yeah, well, that wasn't one of my favorites. Wasn't so, it? So, yeah, we picked Frank. Um, Frank's a good pick. Very Always good pick. go with Frank. Always. You can never you can never go wrong with Frank Sinatra. And I'll never forget my fa- my grandfather's funeral, Frank Sinatra's version of um, I Did It My Way. Really? That was at that my was grandpa's funeral. That was played at your grandpa's funeral. Hmm. I'm like, Is I, he from I New York? No. Hmm. He just did it his way. He just did it his way. Okay. Isn't that the blue moon? That's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. It's even it beautiful. It's even better Like when you're driving. You can look out your sunroof. Your moon roof, uh-huh. and you can just lean. I just laid my seat back, mm-hmm. and put on just, cruise control. That yeah, you put know, on a little Frank Sinatra, you and you didn't have to pay attention. And hit the freeway. That was great. Good well, living. I'm so glad you liked the car. I loved it. I really don't know what to do now. And then my son, I'm like, well, son, so I'm going to give you my car, and I'm going to go buy a car. And he's like, well, I'm fine driving this truck. I have a truck that's twenty five dollars. Oh, it's sweet. Yeah. And I'm like, really? He's like, oh yeah, I love the truck. There's so, your answer. Well, I'm like, so maybe I don't need to buy a car. <laughs> but <laughs> just I just fell in, in love with this in. other car. I should. Yeah, come on. You've got the dough. I'm loaded. I know. Loaded. Well, and you so. guys are all buying cars, so I just thought maybe I'll join in. Yeah. It's just not fair. I want to ride. Thanks, Kathy. Good stuff. Hey, uh, you know, Donald Trump, he he's made an impact, hasn't he? And you know what? If you If you just compare his latest interviews... To his early interviews about a week or two ago, he seems a little nicer now. He's now got this big lead he's trying to take care of, but he's also realized, I guess I can just bully people around a little bit. So joining us in just a few minutes, Dr. Steve Albrecht will be joining us. He is uh, basically saying that there is a state, uh, uh, something he's calling the Trump effect, which is a version of bullying, workplace bullying, and he's going to be talking to all of us about how to identify a bully and what you should do if you work with somebody that, you know, is offensive, that calls you names, that is too intense. 
that throws out a lot of, uh, you know, rude comments. We'll be talking with Dr. Steve Albrecht about the Trump effect and workplace bullying up next. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, in the last few weeks, the news has been full of the bombastic antics of Donald Trump, who has responded to critics with bullying antics like name-calling, public disclosure of Senator Lindsey Graham's cell phone. Do you remember that? We call that doxing. Yep. And uh, Trump also called his opponents, if you remember, and all of his critics, losers, lightweights, and idiots. In fact, you remember he even took down an NBC reporter, just humiliated her. And uh, instead of acknowledging his mistakes and overreaching comments, a lot of times he ends up doubling down with a more, even more combative tone. Um, and this behavior, you know, it's similar to what you might see uh, in uh, an office bully. And so today we're joined by Dr. Steve Albrecht, who is an expert in workplace and school violence and pre- um, prevention. He also has coined a certain version of this uh, of this pattern of bullying, the Trump effect. We wanted to find out about that. Dr. Steve Albrecht, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. How are you? You bet. Great to have you. Talk about, uh, describe what you call the Trump effect. Well, you, you hit it on the head. You look at a guy who's really over the top in terms of his comments, and he doesn't apologize for it. It's interesting to look at bullying as a phenomenon in organizations. It's not illegal in any of the 50 states. Many people have been exposed to that kind of behavior by bosses, by coworkers, by vendors, by customers, and they're really struck as what to do. Oh, I mean, and there's something, but the interesting thing is he's getting, his polls are going up, so it probably emboldens the bully. Yeah, there, there's some empowering there going on, and also for a guy like Trump, who, who feeds off of that kind of energy and has done so for his entire career, he doesn't see it as wrong. But you yeah. know, most people, as you've described, look at it and say, you know, I wouldn't want to put up with that if that guy was doing it to me. And certainly in the national political arena, it's good news. But how long is that going to that kind of last for a guy like that? It's, most people find it off-putting after a while. Yeah, right. And it seems like, I mean, Trump is just kind of the symbol of it publicly right now. But this is going on in every office across the country, right? And, and schools and everywhere. Yeah, you look at, at it starts at the schools and, and you know, a lot of schools have programs, anti bullying programs. How effective they are is hard to hard to decide because kids are still afraid to tell their teachers or their parents as to what's going on. Uh, in organizations I hear a lot of stories about it where, where people are afraid to go to work because of their boss, because of coworkers. It's threatening behavior, it, it's it's angry behavior, it's it's confrontive, it's demeaning. And a lot of folks uh, feel stuck as to what to do. They go to their human resources people or they go to another boss to try to get some help. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Mm. And um, you, was it your dad that, that talked to you about the ballistic, what was that called? It was the best line ballistic ever. Podiatry, yeah, ballistic, ballistic podiatry, shooting <laughs> yourself in the foot. <laughs> ballistic podiatry. But he, because the funny thing about being the bully is, He's got all this bravado, but a lot. Of, but almost every time he goes off as a bully, there's this recoil from the from the press corps, and so he, he's hurting himself. But he's also, I guess, gaining power. Is that the pattern? 
Yeah, there's not a lot of consequences for Trump's behavior right now. And so the more he does it, the more people seem to like it. So he just doubles down on, on the activity. And, you know, a lot of attention-getting behavior from, from bullies really comes from, you know, a mask of low self-esteem. They'll never admit to that publicly, of course. Right. But, you know, they, they feel bad about what they do. Sometimes they have insight into it. Sometimes they don't. I don't get a sense Trump has a lot of insight into what he's doing because it's worked for him for his entire career. Well, and I guess, too, you, you'll you see the bully, the, a sign of low self-esteem is the need to constantly cite your strengths. I'm rich. I'm powerful. Look at my polls. But in the in the workplace, you, there are certain phrases that I know you've pointed out that are signs that you might have – uh, a bully trying to make excuses for why they're being so so strong and brazen. Um, some of those are like we're too politically correct around here. If everybody, if somebody's complaining about, we're just you know we're too politically correct or we're all getting too soft. That's why we need this harder person. Yeah, I get the phrase. You know, I'm old school. I've been here a long time. I'm entitled to say what I want. And you know, I do agree. I mean, in training classes, I tell people you have the right to say what you want at work, but that doesn't mean there won't be consequences for it. Mm. And so I always look try to teach people about boundaries and and you know two pedals gas pedal or brake and a lot of times we need to keep our foot near the brake trump trump certainly doesn't keep his foot near the brake he's on the gas all the time what are some more phrases that we might hear in the workplace uh that might be showing us you know there's somebody that's just making excuses for why they're such a bully yeah the the idea for that is is that they don't take ownership and they'll say it's other people's fault and you, you just don't get me you just don't understand me i'm a tough tough person it could be males or females i've talked to I've talked to both genders in the workplace about, you know, being bullied by male bosses or female bosses. Women talk to me about bullying each other, which is, you know, they're not taking care of each other. They're actually attacking each other. Mm. And a lot of times it goes to, you know, political hierarchies and organizations. Who's getting ahead? Who's going to get promoted? Who's going to get the better project? And they, they really try to attack each other just to get, you know, higher status. And that, that's certainly something that Trump's been doing his whole career. Is there a fine line um, between bullying and just playing it seems like a lot of guys love to one up each other and might love to throw digs at each other when does it turn into bullying yeah i think that's a good question and the answer is is the boundary what's what's the boundary of that if you and i have a good relationship where we can joke around then i know what the edges of that are i don't i don't bring your parents into it or, or bring in your family or something like that yeah. there's, there's a boundary to that and the other part is you know is it hurtful or, or is it just kind of goofing around and some people just don't get that, and that that's the other kind of code word is you know i, I can tell whatever kind of jokes i want and that hurt somebody's feelings. Well, they're too bad they're not tough enough. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Yeah, you can take it any way you want. But I didn't mean it that way. Um, exactly. That that is a, another thing that you seem to hear a lot uh, to justify somebody being a bully is, you know, it's just who I am. I mean, like like Trump's a New Jersey guy, so a New Jersey guy or whatever might come off as, hey, that good. I'm just being strong. Um, is it? Is that real? I mean, is that is should we just allow people to be who they are from where they're from, or we do we keep the boundary? That's another thing you hear a lot is you know I'm from New York or I'm from here or this is my heritage or you know that's the way I was raised. I mean, those are sort of rationalizations for for obnoxious behavior, and I, I find it interesting that. You know, in California, where I am, we have a new bullying statute, an anti-bullying statute, but the legislators didn't actually put the word bullying in it. They called it abusive conduct, and it's really hard to define. Yeah. Your abusive conduct and my abusive conduct are two different things. We need kind of a national human resources 
you know, a step up to say, hey, this is what it looks like at work. This is how it hurts the business. It makes people want to quit, makes them not want to come to work. We've got to stop doing it. That, that's probably going to be a grassroots, you know, one company at a time kind of an approach. Mm. Let's talk about the the consequences. Like how big of a problem is bullying in a work in the work environment? If you talk to some folks who have written about this, and one of my colleagues wrote a book about it, she, she talks about it as a billion-dollar issue because it's sort of a subterranean, submerged, under-the-water issue because you say, well, why'd you quit? Well, I wanted to get a better job. Well, the real reason was I was being attacked by my coworkers and my my boss on a regular basis. You know, I, I didn't feel like coming to work anymore. And one time, for sometimes for bullying in, in the workplace, people just don't work very hard. They just go, you know what, I'm not going to engage. I'll just sit there. So we're not getting full productivity out of them because they're fearful, they're anxious, they're tired of it, they're frustrated. And oftentimes their bosses are either the problem or they don't do anything. And I see HR people say, well, let's do the best we can instead of saying, you know what, let's let's start using consequences, discipline and termination. Yeah. This is probably why we have such a high rate of kind of uh, ina- what's, uh, um, inactive workers. You know, 70% of workers are disengaged. And, and so that's probably part of it. And then another reason why so many people probably don't want, I mean, they want to have like more flexible work locations, working yeah. from home, not coming into the office. Exactly. And, and not having to engage with folks. You, you made a good point before. And, it, and one of the things I look at is what's the difference between an aggressive boss or an assertive boss. And most of us w- would say working for an assertive boss would be a good thing. Yeah. But working for an aggressive boss would not. Male, males or females, if, if you're afraid to come to work or ask this person a question or engage with them because you get shouted at or embarrassed in a meeting, that stuff over time accumulates. It makes it no fun to go to work. Mm. And, I mean, it's so subtle, and it and it also you can just see that there could be racist and sexist overtones to all of, I mean, to some of this bullying. So th- then it turns into other issues. Anyway, it's a fascinating topic. We're, again, speaking with Dr. Steve Albrecht, uh, who is the author of 15 books, including Ticking Bombs, Diffusing Violence in the Workplace, Fear and Violence on the Job, and Tactical Perfection for Street Cops. Boy, all topics uh, that are needed today. Let's take a break, come back more with Dr. Steve Albrecht. We're going to start getting some solutions, some, some tools for how we set those boundaries that he was talking about. And what should you say to a bully? This is great advice. In fact, Steve should be talking to the 15 candidates that, got a, that, that get the opportunity to go head-to-head with Donald Trump in the next week. Um, Man, what do you say to put the bully in its place and not, you know, create bigger problems? Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show talking bullying after the break. the Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever had somebody in a meeting offend you and everybody around you and then they're like, man, lighten up. I was just kidding around. I didn't mean to say that your entire country is sending rapists to America. I didn't mean that. Relax. Man, people are too sensitive. That might be a sign you're dealing with a bully. And our, our guest today, Dr. Steve Albrecht, uh, holds degrees in psychology, security management, and a doctorate in business administration. And he manages a San Diego-based firm specializing in high-risk HR, security, and work culture issues. 
He is here today to teach us about uh, how to handle and manage the bullies that we might uh, find in our life. Dr. Steve Albrecht, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, so so glad to have you, and I'm glad you you were pretty vocal about the Trump effect because I I watched the face. I, did you see the NBC reporter that he just filleted? Did I you did, s- and that's that's in his wheelhouse. I mean, that's he's been doing that his entire career, and it's not surprising. But that face, that look of just like, are you? Wow. I mean, it, you I can imagine that in offices around the country. I can imagine it, you know, in schoolyards around the country. But nobody deserves to be demeaned or placed in a position like that. So teach us. You said earlier we need with a bully to be able to set a boundary. How how do we do that? How do we do it without, you know, chopping our head off? Yeah, one of, one of the first lines of defense is you as an employee to tell people, you know, enough of that stuff. Don't treat me that way. Don't speak to me that way. It's a more challenging conversation if it's your boss, but if it's a coworker, you know what? I'm not interested in your your comments, your language, your behavior, your jokes. One of the parallels I give is is like physical touching. You know, I'm a huggy kind of guy. I hug my friends, but I don't hug strangers and I don't hug people at work. Right. So if somebody's got that kind of behavior, you got to say, look, you know, I, I don't do that. Don't don't touch me in that way or be around me like that. The first line of defense is you. The second line of defense is your boss, as long as he or she is not the problem. And you could go to another supervisor. And so that's one thing people get confused about. Can I go outside my chain of command? Certainly. Go to another boss. Talk to that person. Certainly human resources in your organization has got um, some say in this, a lot of say in this as to what to do. And they can set policy. Even though bullying is not illegal in all 50 states, a lot of organizations do have very specific policies that say, look, no, no conduct that's intimidating, threatening. Don't, don't touch people in an appropriate way. Don't say harassing or demeaning things. Sometimes that stuff's pretty well spelled out. Yeah. That's a good place to go. There are also company attorneys, and, and they're in, in touch with this issue as well because they're worried about the litigation. See, it's a, it's a really interesting um, thing because some people, too, are sensitive and um, you know maybe weren't raised with four brothers that would beat you up or be rude verbally. And um, so I wonder if some people might just be more easily offended but I guess if I went to my HR people or my other my boss and I was saying I was being offended, they'd be able to give me feedback if I'm being too sensitive or if this really is bullying. Yeah, it, it's really a, a line of, of you know adjustment here. Some, some people you have a, a really good relationship with, you can say or do almost anything. Other people, not so much. Smart employees in the workplace, and you know this, yeah. they, they work on that and go, you know, I don't mess around with this person or I, I can mess around with this person because hmm. we have that kind of relationship. And I, I think, you know, politeness and civility in the workplace has really started to disappear. Like you said, people are working, you know, more remotely. There, there's a sense of a lot of collisions between age. That's a lot of things I see at work, too, which is an age um, issue between generations where younger generations and older generations don't have the same sense of things, and they, and they can irritate each other pretty easily. Yeah, and is it, it seems like the bully might, because they're the bully, they never get the feedback that they're the bully. You know, because a lot of people actually like that's what you're saying. You're the first line of defense. But if I don't ever say anything, then that person never gets the feedback or the consequence. And the tough part of bullying is as a behavior, as a personality issue, there's a lot of deeper stuff going on there. You know, it it, it goes back to childhood. It goes back to how they were raised by their parents. It goes back to how they interacted with people. And for some reason, that seemed to be an approach that was that was working for them. For women, sometimes they have to cross that line from assertiveness into aggressiveness to be taken seriously in organizations. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's too much. I've talked to a lot of women who say, I'd much rather work for a male boss who's 
who treats me better than a, a female boss who wants to get ahead and steps on me on the way up to the top. Mm. So I think, you know, female supervisors have a, a duty to look at their own behavior just like any other boss and say, you know, it's too much, too much in terms of my aggressiveness. In your consulting, Steve, do they call you in after it's kind of all hit the fan and you have to clean yeah, it up? I'm kind of like the skin doctor. I usually see the bad skin, you know, yeah. the, the warts, the bumps, the rashes. And so I come in when, when people have not been speaking to each other for two years, where, where folks burst into tears in meetings, where there's a real sense that, that folks are quitting and the organization is losing people and they're taking it out on each other and the mm. customers. It, it's, it's a bad time by the time I get there. Yeah, I've consulted with companies that, I mean, it was really a $10 million to $20 million problem because a board, board members couldn't get along. And yeah, that's, because that's there was huge. a bully, you know. That's huge, yeah. And the impact on the business for bullying is kind of under the radar, but it's 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 obvious if you work there. Yeah. Talk about um, if if I go and decide right up front that I'm going to go be my first line of defense and I'm going to go talk to the bully, what should that conversation be like? Let's say that they've been verbally abusive. Maybe they've said stuff, uh, you know, um, Mike Huckabee had a comment about, about um, leading people to the doors of the crematorium or whatever it was. and Yeah, walking the Jews to the gas chambers. Yeah, so let's say I'm a Jew and I'm sitting in my office and some guy keeps defending a comment and it's offending me. What should I go up and say? How should I approach that conversation? Yeah, I I think you say, look, you have the right to your opinion, but if you want to talk about stuff that relates to politics or religion or any other really, really— sensitive issues, I, I don't want you to do it around me. It's as simple as that. Don't have those comments. Don't make those those jokes or, or don't do not do that stuff around me. Don't touch me. Don't say those things. Don't mm. do it around me. Are, are we clear? I mean, that you know, it's... Just, and then clarify, are we clear? Do and I do this in front you know, of people? Do I need witnesses well, for this? Yeah, I think you do it one-on-one because then the, the witnesses or the, the other people kind of feed into the other person being mm. more defensive and coming right at, at you with saying, I didn't do that or you're, you're being too sensitive or whatever. I think it's a one-on-one conversation. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a polite conversation, but it's an assertive one. And you say, look, you know, if you keep doing this stuff, I'm going to the bosses. That's not what I want to do. I'm giving you the first chance to stop it. And, and oftentimes you see, you know, like in the schoolyard, standing up to bullies gets them to switch targets, and, and that's kind of one of the things you're trying to do. The tougher part of that conversation is if it's with a boss. I yeah. think you have to be more careful about how you do it. But you say, you know, boss, um, it, it hurts my feelings if you do this, this, and this, and just leave it out there. And then you can certainly say to anybody else later, HR or another supervisor, look, I put the person on notice. I asked them to stop the behavior. I think you got to document those types of things where it happens over and over again. HR doesn't want to hear sort of an oral story about stuff. They want you to show them documentation that happened, you know, two weeks ago, last week, yesterday, that kind of thing. That could just be a journal or an entry that we were in a meeting. This was said. This is exactly how it was said. This is how so-and-so commented. This is who was in the meeting. Exactly. And, you know, date and date and time. And here's the language. And don't use labels. Use behaviors. Yeah, yeah. He was mean to me. It's not, not yeah. appropriate. He, he was so rude. Specific things. Right. Yeah, exactly. He, he cursed me by saying these specific things. It's much more something that HR can do something with. Well, what do you see happens, uh, Steve, when some, when a bully confronts another bully? Yeah, that that's pretty explosive. That can be pretty volcanic. And, you know, one of the things that I, I, I think about in our conversation is sometimes bullies are rewarded for their work behavior. So, 
you know, the guy's the best sales guy in the office or, or she's the best IT person in the office or she's a really good uh, customer relations person, then oftentimes we give them a free pass for that. Yeah. And and what I, I often see is, yeah, that's great, except what's the impact on the rest of the business? So sure. they can be the best best salesperson in the office, but if everybody's quitting around this guy, this guy because he's a horrible boss, then, then you've got another problem. Well, and they, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, couldn't, couldn't the bullying be the reason they're one of the top producers? They're They're yeah, intimidating and, others. They're... They're stealing exactly. they leads a, or whatever. Exactly, they get a they get an upper hand on folks that that you know. And, and like you say, there's a degrees of sensitivity in folks. And I know we're not running a daisy farm when it comes to what what kind of organizations we're trying to create. But people have the right to come to a, a workplace where they feel professionally led, professionally supervised, and 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 can be left alone to do their job. Yeah. Well, it seems like you also need both sides of the spectrum. I need the sensitive type, and I need the strong, aggressive type. And so as a boss, I need all of you. I just and, need and you to get along. Good, exactly. Good supervisors can manage people based on their personalities, and that's not one size fits all. And, and that's the thing that, that good bosses know. I have to do certain things. This, this employee needs more praise, more more support. This employee needs to be left alone to do his or her job. So good, good supervisors can move through that balance. And I always tell supervisors, Pay attention to this stuff and confront it early and, and get after it in coaching meetings early before it turns into a, you know, this has been going on for two years. Oh, yeah. And again, it goes back to your premise that that's, that's one thing if you're the boss, but if this is your boss or the owner of your company is the brute, then it's a whole different ball game. You're in a tough spot, and I, I've seen a lot of people just just throw up their hands and quit. And then, you know, the, the owners of the company or the, the family that runs it, they can't figure out why they can't keep good people. And I say, well, you got to look at your internal behavior here, and, and it's, you're driving folks away. Is there any? Um, it seems like it'd be easy to end up hating the bully that's bullying you, and yet that person is really broken. They're they're broken. Like I just think of these little the school bullies that are bullying these other kids. They're just, they have a broken past or something's wrong. How do we end up not getting sucked into the negative energy and the hate of a bully and actually end up letting that, just my own emotion about it, ruin me? Yeah, I think about the concept of forgiveness sometimes when, into what you're saying. And, and my definition of forgiveness is I don't forgive the person for the behavior, but I forgive myself for having to carry it around or yeah. having it affect my life or ruin my life. And sometimes you can put some emotional distance between you and this other person. You go, you know what? I can't fix the guy's personality. I can ask him to or her to leave me alone and to let me do my job. And, and, you know, if that doesn't do that, then I have to have the courage with a capital C to go to another supervisor or the company attorney or to HR and ask for the things that I'm looking for. But in terms of the forgiveness, sometimes you just go, you know what? I'm, I'm not I'm not in that person's life. I don't know what they went through. I'm not going to let them ruin my career here. I'm going to work around them. I'm going to be strong. And also, I'm going to I'm going to let them deal with their own off the job psychological issues. I don't I don't have to get swept up in all that. Yeah, right, man. Thank heavens, huh? Hey, um, do you, you? I know you have a history in in police uh, in being a, a police officer as well. You worked as a San Diego in the San Diego Police Department for 15 years. With all the news and the kind of extreme stories that we hear coming out of police departments, do you sense is is there a do a lot of bullies make it on the police force? Well, we try to screen them out. I mean, we use psychological screening and, and polygraphs and interviews and things to screen them out, but they do get on there. And 
I, I, I think you're right. I think we're looking at a, at a revolution, a, an evolution in policing in this country, the movement towards body cameras, the movements toward more accountability, the movement towards better training, more insight in terms of dealing with racial issues and things. I think we're at the precipice, at the edge of a big revolution in policing in this country. People are asking for more accountability from their cops. They want them to do their jobs assertively, but they also want them to protect people's rights and, and dignities. And I think we're looking at a big change in this country in terms of how we're going to do that. Yeah. It's almost like we're going to use – we need we need not the guy that, that wants to carry the big stick, but the guy that can you know use verbal persuasion better. And, and that, there was a movement in, you know, in the 90s, and, and we started talking about a concept called verbal judo, which is redirecting things. Uh-huh. And a, lot, a lot of cops said, oh, that's, you know, I, I miss the old days where we you know, kicked butt and took names and all right. that. And th- those days are over. We, we've got to shift our perspective to how we, we treat the community because there are more people in the community than there are cops. Mm. We need the help from the community to do their jobs effectively. And again, the majority of cops are just awesome. They're great. And when you think about the crud they have to put up with day in, day out, you know, you're grateful for them. And then you get a couple bad eggs. Just I guess that's how it is everywhere. You get one bully on the I still to this day remember the bully on my playground. And he was right, a little did. he was a little man. <laughs> he was little. And yet he was a Tasmanian devil. <laughs> yet everybody in school was afraid of the guy. You should out the guy and then ruin his life and career. <laughs> Let's throw his name out, right? <laughs> exactly. It's so true. So we, we should confront. We should create a boundary. We can confront without being confrontational. We just lay down our boundary and, and tell them we need them to stop. Exactly. And if that doesn't work, then you start to bring in other resources. And, and you document the conversations and interactions where that stuff happens so it's not just your word against the bully's word. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Talk about it. We got about 30 seconds left or a minute left. What would you say? What's the one thing? I always like to know the one thing that would make the biggest difference for any of us dealing with a bully. Yeah, I, I think it's it's assertiveness and, and patience, too. Assertiveness towards representing what you want from, from you know, who you interact with and also being patient with each other. Everybody at work, you know, we're... We're all working at a not not only a twenty four seven pace these days, but it seems like a seventy two seven pace. Yeah, the, the the pace of life and work is just a thousand miles an hour. We really we really mistreat each other as a result of this urgency to get stuff done. And I think supervisors need to be sensitive not only to to the workload, but also giving people more praise, catching them doing things right, and, and saying better things about them because it you know can feel like just you know uh, another day of doing the same stuff over and over again it gets pretty depressing. Oh, so does. Well, uh, we appreciate you, Dr. Steve Albrecht. Uh, great stuff. If you go to his website, drstevealbrecht.com, drstevealbrecht.com, you can get information about uh, his coaching or his uh, consulting and, and a lot of his blog entries. He really has some great articles to help you deal with a bully in the workplace. And I hope the other 15 GOP candidates that are going to be debating Donald Trump will go learn. Because I'm thinking 15 to 1. Come on. There's a shot for the rest of them if they work together. We'll take a break, my friends. Stick with us when we come back to a little Coach's Corner. Talk about competition versus cooperation. There's a time and a place for both. And there's a consequence for both. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, as we talk about bullying, we don't want to just bully Donald Trump, but man, he makes it so easy just because of, you know, the last few weeks. How many people are in the carnage of the Trumpster? So one of the things that I, I really like to draw a distinction on when I work with companies, and Stephen Covey taught this uh, very well, is there's a certain time that we need to compete and there's a certain time that we need to cooperate. And competition works incredibly well, but you'll notice that a lot of, and it, for a lot of people, some of this aggressiveness and aggression that we see in our business and our workplace might be coming from the fact that you've set up systems that are competitive instead of cooperative. So if I work in a company and I'm a salesperson and we have a list, uh, you know, where we compete every week to be the number one salesperson, then what? it's great because you'll get the benefits of competition, right? So I'll work hard. I'll keep trying to, you know, increase my abilities and my skills. That's, that's actually pretty smart, right? Because I want all my sales guys kind of competing against each other, we think. The downside to that competition, however, is that when I figure out the number one easiest way to get leads and close deals, and it's my competitive advantage, I'm not telling anybody about it, right? I'm not going to tell you because it's mine. And so I keep some of the great secrets that could lift my entire team up, and I keep the secret because you've fostered as the sales manager a competitive environment. So we sometimes we're afraid that if we're too cooperative, we we you know, we'll be able to brainstorm better, we'll be able to share best practices if we're cooperating. So the dilemma becomes how do I create an environment where I balance my competition of my people and my cooperation with my people to create this synergy? Like think about it in learning is the best way to learn to create a competitive environment. So if we're grading on the curve and I can only give so many A's, I guess that's the best way to create learning? I doubt it. Yet we're all at school competing for grades. We're all at work competing. And there are certain times I'm not questioning that we should compete. If I need to make a team, I want my team competing against each other to make the, to make the to decide who's going to be first string, right, on the team. So, for a certain percentage of my camp with my team, I'm going to have them compete for their roles and their positions. But there comes a point where I need to then make them the team. And once I decide to make them the team, if competition every single day for your role or your position is there, then I'm going to actually impact our ability to cooperate together. I, at some point, need not individual goals per se. I need group goals, collective goals. So think about your organization. And if you're an organizational leader, even think about your family. A lot of parents try to motivate their kids by competing. I used to do it all the time. First one to bed gets a sucker. <laughs> and my kids would beat each other up to get to bed. Okay, you win the sucker. But they're crying and they're hyperventilating. <laughs> she hit me. Okay, well, we got them to bed, but they hate each other. 
There's a certain time to compete and a certain time to cooperate. And I'm afraid that many times the bullies unintentionally don't distinguish between the two. And, for example, you can see with in political runoffs, we could compete so hard against each other that we can't cooperate at the end of the at the end of the primaries. You could compete so hard that your candidate is useless in a general election. And that was, you know, the old Reagan belief that he'll never say anything negative about a fellow Republican or whatever. It's not his role. He will only fight the Democrat or whatever. And there's times, if you notice, in our culture, in our uh, country, that our politicians are always in competition mode and they can't cooperate anymore. And yet policymaking and good, uh, you know, good democracy, healthy democracy demands a time to cooperate as well. So think about that in your life and in your world. Are you an effective manager of when to cooperate and when to compete? And a lot of times I think the bullies are people that just think competition's the number one rule. And it's just not the case. It's not the case. And whichever rule you choose, if you go with competition or cooperation, there's a consequence. There's a there's a payback. And um, you got to be careful of it, right? So think about it in your world. And don't just sit there and think everybody else is the bully. Is there any chance that people at your workplace consider you to be a bully? Just because of the jokes you make, what you say. Are you a bully? Anyway, take it in. Figure it out learn. We'll take a break, my friends. This is the first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break, come back, a whole new hour, talking about the needs of seniors. Next hour, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. It's Friday, folks. Ah, life is good. Life is really good. Welcome to the program, the show where we give you the tools, the ideas to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead the life you want to lead. We're here to give you what you need to have a better life. You know, we could just beat everybody up, but we learned in our last hour, not good to bully. Don't even do it. Don't do it. You know what else is an absolute no-no? And um, I'm just going to shoot straight because I like to... I'm here to educate. And parents, listen up. You can do more, parents, in the naming of your child, damage. You can do more damage just naming your child than you can do in a lifetime of parenting. Get it right. So Apple is not a good name? It's a great name if you sell technology products. <laughs> but if, if you're a baby girl, not so good. If you're a baby girl, you're like, get over here, Apple. I'm going to bite you. Um, you, How about this name? Huckleberry Finn. Sad. Sad. It's so sad. He was just arrested for for a sexual attack. And his name? Huckleberry Finn. 
If you hadn't named the kid Huckleberry Finn, he wouldn't have had a life of abuse, I'm sure. 36-year-old man arrested with the name of Huckleberry Finn. I don't get that. Why do people do that? I don't know. Somebody, Ben was just telling us. So your son Huckleberry is okay? Yeah. Is he okay? Well, I called him Chuckleberry. <laughs> Chuckleberry Blinn. Um, but Ben was telling us about somebody named Temptress. Temptress? Yeah. Who names their daughter? Te- this is my daughter, Temptress. You know, it's almost like it's become a competition to see who can That's come right. up with the most unique name. Yeah. Very strange. Parents. No. No. Give him a name. John. Give him a good, solid name. Charles. Charles. Chuck. Chuck. Be careful. Holy cow, parents. It was funny when my husband and I got engaged in talking about having children. We both said if we have a boy that the first name was Brock. Oh, man. Because of a baseball player that we both liked. Well, your son Brock is chiseled. <laughs> he looks like a baseball player. He's got – oh, he – honestly. he And you know what? He, you can totally see Kathy Aiken in him. I said, you know what? For a man, you look a lot like your mom. <laughs> Isn't that funny? People will say some people will say that. Then people on my husband's side will say he looks just like your. Does husband. he? Look, I've really? never seen your husband. Yeah, we'll have to strange, meet your husband. Yeah. Is your husband like ripped? Not chiseled? like Brock. No. Yeah, no. Brock's. Up. I think he looks more like my side. But you know, it's funny. People see everybody sees something different. Oh yeah. So. It's weird. My wife sees all of our kids' talents on her side of the family <laughs> for sure. People are like yeah, the good things are. Yeah, it's my side. I even have people say your kids don't even look like you. I'm like really. Yeah, it's weird. Very weird. You sure? How sure are you? Isn't that wild? So parents, be nice. Don't name your kids things that will just ensure they'll be bullied the rest of their life. Okay, true story. Yeah. There's a story of a woman who, I think it was spelled like orange jello. Yeah, orange jello. But it was orange jello. Yeah. Yeah, Do you remember that? It was like orange jello. No, it's orange jello. Don't do that. Yeah, sad. Chuck. Name him Chuck. Or Denise. I don't care. I don't like Denise. Uh, it's it's a big deal because my, they're about to name my the, my grandbaby that's not yet born. They're coming up with names. And every time they throw a name by us, we're like, oh, yeah, no. Because you're always thinking of ways he'll get teased or she yeah. will get. Do they know? what do you It's know? a girl. Oh, a girl. And, okay. and they keep coming up with names. And you know what? The sad thing is it's their choice. Yep. No matter how hard I. Did your parents like all your children's names? Uh, we didn't ask. We don't, that's, that's the best we don't thing. see just my don't parents ask. much. <laughs> Sad, just do it true. and say, hey, by the way. <laughs> hey, we're just naming them this. Anyway, uh, you know, it's your responsibility, parents. They, these kids have got to grow up, and someday they'll have to live without you. So make be, be nice. Be nice. Let's go to the headlines, find out what Kathy Aiken has for us. Investigators are scrambling to get answers after part of an airplane wing was found this week on an island off the Indian Ocean. Officials say the serial number from the piece belongs to a Boeing 777 aircraft. Now they need to find out whether or not it belongs to the Malaysian aircraft that went missing in March of last year. Authorities say they're hoping to find an answer quickly so family members of those on board can have some type of closure. The University of Cincinnati policeman who was indicted on murder charges this week has pleaded not guilty. County prosecutors say Ray Tenzing killed Samuel Dubow after losing his temper during a traffic stop. 
Tenzing was released on bail last night, and his next court date is scheduled for August 19th. If found guilty, he could face life in prison. Zimbabwe's wildlife minister is seeking extradition for Walter Palmer, the man who admitted to killing a lion just outside a national park. U.S. officials have also launched an investigation into the hunt that Palmer thought was done legally. One of Palmer's guides told a British newspaper that Palmer also wanted to kill an elephant after the lion hunt, but was told they couldn't find one the size he was looking for. The Minnesota dentist hasn't been seen publicly since the controversy erupted. A new vaccine for Ebola looks promising. The drug was reportedly 100 percent effective when tested on 4,000 people who were in close contact with Ebola patients in Africa. The Ebola outbreak last year that killed 11,000 people in West Africa has reportedly subsided somewhat. A panel overseeing the trial says a late-stage trial of the vaccine should now proceed. To announce the host city of the Olympic Winter Games 2022. Beijing! That announcement made this morning, Beijing now the first city to host both a winter and summer Olympic Games. The summer games were played there in 2008. Some activists, however, aren't happy with the Beijing selection, citing China's poor history on human rights. A rare blue moon appeared last night. The phenomenon happens once every three years when a full moon appears for a second time in a single month. The moon isn't actually blue. It just gets its name because it happens once in a while or once in a blue moon. And I didn't hear you say this this morning, Matt. I think you missed this. It's National Heat Stroke Prevention Day. And it comes when much of the nation is experiencing heat wave. Heat stroke can be deadly, which is why advocates are trying to raise awareness. And children are especially vulnerable. 38 children die in a hot car every year. And in Uh. August, this is cool, a new car seat with an alert system will be available at Walmart. The seat, which is made by Evenflow, helps prevent people from accidentally leaving children in hot cars. It works with a wireless receiver. It's plugged into the car's data port. So when the car is turned off, an alarm goes off over the Wi-Fi to remind the driver a child is still in the car. Yeah, but you just have to have a car with Wi-Fi. So that's That is a great idea. Yeah. Or you just need a child that has, um, what's it called? What do kids get that makes them so fussy? Colic. Colic. If you have a colicky kid, you'll never forget the child. All three of my boys had. Did, well, it they? wasn't colic. They had uh, reflux. Uh, but they always told me it was it was colic. I said, this is not colic. He's screaming 24-7. <laughs> this kid has got a temperament. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that great idea. That is, that yeah. is, you know, what's cool about the technology changing. We were talking about the car that I'm test driving, thanks to your chiseled son. <laughs> um, it, it has not just seat warmers. It has seat chillers it cools my seat really i didn't know that one i i forgot but i'm driving and you get that feeling like did i just spill my drink did i spill my cold drink all over me and i'm I'm looking down like no no no, i don't see cold fluids but it's it's i it cools my seat oh my how can you pass that up i have no idea I never knew you needed your seat no, cool. Uh, you, Even you if know? you knew it, you're like, it couldn't be possible. Now all you need is a um, something in the seat that kind of gives you a little massage. Massage. Yeah. Or, and that a beverage be dispenser. If I could have a beverage dispenser. Like, that would be good. It, it, if it can tell me when my car's out of lane and out mm-hmm. of in the wrong lane, then it can tell me when I need to sip my beverage. Absolutely. Oh. I'll tell Brock. That's a good one. I'll have him pass have it along Brock to the car maker. But how cool is that? You now can chill your backside in your car. Isn't that great? <laughs> that is awesome. You used to roast it, and ah, which is great in the yeah, winter. Yeah. But in the Heated summer, seats are a necessity here in Utah for I'm sure. I'm telling you, 
I'm. Uh, I wow. Might, I Lucky might. you. I know. I know. I just need to go buy a car now. Oh, wow. This is why, folks, we're living longer. And you think about it. For years, we've lived to the ripe old age, whatever the age, the age expectancy is now of a male, what, 75, 76, whatever it is. When we can now have chilled seats in our car, we will easily live to 95. Ben thinks that's an exaggeration, but Ben's not on mic. So um, chilled seats, folks, it's helping us live longer. But as we live longer, we have a lot of things we have to deal with. Do you have enough money to make it? How do you deal with the aging population? Uh, Joining us after this break, Howard Bedlin will be with us from the National Council on Aging. He's going to give us uh, some of the key things we should be watching for with our parents and ourselves as we're aging to make sure that we can do it gracefully and the way we want to. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, aging is a leisure not afforded to everyone, and aging comfortably with stability and support is not always the norm. People age 65 and up make about 13% of the population in the United States. And do all of us have a plan for aging? Did you know, for example, that the average, the median bill for a private room in a U.S. nursing home now runs $91,000 a year? So if you need to go to a nursing home facility, it's going to cost you 91 grand. Right? If if you don't want to go there and you just want to have a, a home nurse or a home health aide that comes to your house daily, it's about 45 grand a year. <sighs> are you ready for this? If you have parents, if you have grandparents that are aging, and you have a lot of concerns, how are you going to make ends meet, Uh, then listen up. This is the show and the topic for you today. Um, You know, some cultures, they do this well. The Chinese children care for their parents into their old age. Korean elders are highly respected. In many Native American cultures, elders were respected for their wisdom, their life experience, and expected they were expected to pass it on. The National Council on Aging is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to improve the lives of older adults. Howard Bedlin is vice president of public policy and advocacy for the National Council on Aging. He joins us now uh, live to help us talk about aging in America. Howard, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you, Matt. Pleasure to be here. Great to have you. I mean, aging, it's been going on forever, but it seems like it's getting more and more expensive with more and more surprises. Yeah, a lot of people aren't planning and preparing, and a big problem is they underestimate the need for that they may have down the road for long-term care services, and they also underestimate, as you indicated, how expensive it can be. And we need to do much better, both uh, public sector, private sector, you know, government programs that can provide a little bit of help, 
and assistance, as well as private sector and insurance. Most people, for example, don't realize that Medicare doesn't cover it, and your employer-based health insurance doesn't cover it. Only about 8% of people have a private long-term care insurance policy, and they're real issues that we need to grapple with if we're going to be prepared. Yeah, it seems like we fall in between where we make too much for certain benefits and too little for others. Yes, that's very true. It's, it's a real middle-class problem. If you're poor, the Medicaid program will pay for a lot of it, but even issues in Medicaid, because uh, under the Medicaid program, which is available for folks with low incomes as well as low assets, it's kind of the safety net program out there, but it is the primary payer for long-term care services, but it also has a problem in that nursing home care is mandatory. Every state has to provide it. Uh, but home care, trying to keep people mm. independent and in the community, is an option. So you find that a lot of states spend twice as much on nursing home care as they do on home care, which is not what people really want. Right, they yeah. want to stay with their families, be at home. And I have to say, Utah's uh, one of the worst states. It's of ranked course. about 44th <laughs> in the nation in terms of providing a choice of setting and access to home care. Really? It's so interesting because when I just drive around my state here in Utah, I see home care companies going up like crazy. I've done a lot of work with them and speaking with them. So you'd think it's booming, except you're saying the government's not facilitating laws and and policies that make it uh, an obvious choice. Well, that's under Medicaid. Now, there are some where you have to pay out of pocket. Mm. And like you said, home care if you pay it out of pocket, yeah. it costs about $45,000 a year. Wow. Um, but under the Medicaid program, if you're poor, you don't have to pay anything out of pocket. That's part of the problem. People have to spend down their life savings until they're basically poor before a government program kicks in. So it's a, it's a real problem. And I think uh, you know the Congress needs to do more. I think long-term care insurance has had a real rough time lately. A lot of programs are dropping out. Um, it's expensive. A lot of people don't recognize that if you're going to buy long-term care insurance, it's age-rated. Mm. So the older you are, the more expensive it's going to be. And folks like myself, you know, I've got two kids in college. I'm 57. Uh, I'm more worried about paying their tuition right now right. than buying a long-term care insurance policy. So. You know, most people only start thinking about it after they retire, and by that time, it's pretty expensive. Well, it says, one of the articles I was reading talked about 60% of Americans nearing retirement, those ages between 55 and 64, have retirement accounts uh, that aren't that aren't very large. $104,000 is the median balance. They have hundred and four grand as they're nearing, your age even, nearing retirement. It's just not going to cut it, is it? No, people aren't prepared. You're absolutely right. And if right. you divide that number by two, or, you know, because some people would have to divide that with their spouse, um, it's just not enough. So, so is, is it planning? Is it, is it education? What is it that the average person needs to be on top of? Well, I, I do think it's education to start off. People need to recognize that Medicare really doesn't cover it. Medicare does provide some post-hospital rehabilitation. They provide skilled nursing care up to 100 days, on average only about 20 days. But that's mostly to get physical therapy um, and get home. Uh, my dad, for example, had an, an issue earlier this year 
where he had a heart surgery, went to a skilled nursing facility, Medicare covered it, but he was back home in two weeks. Hmm. So it really doesn't cover the longer term, which is usually needed when people start needing help with what are called activities of daily living, like needing help with dressing and bathing and transferring and toileting. That's usually what people think of as triggering the need for long-term care. Medicare doesn't cover it. Private health insurance, uh, it's very difficult to afford. And if you have pre-existing conditions, if you have a problem already, um, then it's not going to be sold to you either. Mm. So so first is education. There are some other programs available. Uh, you need to you know, go to your area agencies on aging. There are adult day services that may be available. But people need to recognize that most of this is paid for by the uh, – is provided by the family informally, spouses caring for each other, the kids caring for each other. And that's a whole other part of this issue is that it's expensive for the families, and they need a break every now and then, and it's hard to get a break. And the um, burden on them physically, emotionally, is something that we need to think about as well. Um, and that's part of the policy challenge that we face. And frankly, I think you know we need to be talking to folks um, in the Congress and the president and say, you know, let's try to come up with some affordable, bipartisan solutions to this, um, because a lot of uh, members of Congress um, have their heads in the sand and don't want to think about this, but there are some things we can do. And actually, you know, Senator Hatch is the chairman of the committee that um, takes the lead on all Medicare and Medicaid issues. Mm. He's expressed some interest in this, so folks are <laughs> talking with him. And I think, you know, the key is to try to provide services that can keep people at home and support them yeah. in home and keep families together. And that's what we're, you know, trying to educate folks about. It's a, um, it seems as I think about it, with this aging population, th- there's kind of all of the tangible side of this. How do I care, f- how do I take care of their health, their basic needs day in, day out? How do I have somebody to watch f- watch over them if I have to go to work? But then there's this whole emotional toil and difficulty we go through with the aging parent, we don't want them, you know, when they just when they start losing their independence, we have to take away, uh, you know, their driving privileges. Or, I mean, there's a lot of emotional side to this, and it seems like maybe that ends up making us hide away instead of go and be educated and and, and deal with some of this. Sure, people are in denial. You know, they yeah. don't like to think about the fact that they may need to go to a nursing home someday. Like I said, they underestimate whether they might need it. But, you know, what research shows is that um, people who reach age 65, about half of them are going to have some need at some point in time. Um, So we need to be better prepared. Part of it is savings. Part of it is understanding the options that are out there. Part of it is having a good support network because family and friends can really play an extremely important role. And I I do think that Congress can do more. I think states can do more. The federal government can do more. And part of it is providing opportunities to make private insurance more affordable and available to people so that, for example, if you have you know, some pre-existing condition, you can still get some protection and you don't have to lose your life savings in order to get some help. Yeah, it's, uh, it's this interesting cross-section, isn't it, of your most basic family needs and your, fa- your family you know, financial future and then government and government agencies. Oh, it seems like we run into this 
kind of regularly. Let's take a break. We're talking with Howard Bedlin national, on the, from the National Council on Aging. He's helping us uh, just think through taking care of our elderly. What should we know? What do we need to know? Uh, so far, we need to get educated, don't we? And maybe even get a little bit more um, politically active. Go push on your legislators. Create some plan, folks, because... You know, at some point, somebody's going to pay for it, and uh, it's not going to start with the government. It's going to start with you and out of your pocket, along with just the love that it's going to have to be there. You're going to have to come up with these solutions, this information. We will take a break, my friends. We'll come back more on aging right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Townsend Show. Today we're talking about uh, elder care and uh, the costs of taking care of your parents or you. Are you planning ahead? Do you have a long-term care plan? Not just health care, you know, not just Medicare or Medicaid. Do you have a long-term plan to get you through, you know, long-term care if you need it when you're aging. Joining us on the phone is Howard Bedlin, Vice President of Public Policy and Advocacy at the National uh, Council on Aging. He joins us now to help us uh, kind of sort through some of this stuff. Welcome back, Howard. Thanks for being with us again. Thank you. Is So we're talking education. We also need policies. We need to get our you know, our legislators, our senators more involved in kind of proactively thinking this through. It's it's interesting that you'd say that about Senator Hatch, who's on one of the committees. I mean, these people are also aging, and yet I guess they probably have better systems and, and, and retirement set up than the rest of us. Talk about... It just if I'm um, if I'm a 45 year old guy and and I need to be planning for my own health care long term, what are some of the things I should be focusing on? Well, you know, I think your employer has an important role to play. So part of it is looking at your pension. Part of it is looking at you know savings plans, 401k, um, IRA, etc. Uh, so planning for your retirement is important. You know. Employers also generally do not provide long-term care insurance coverage. I think if, you know, folks talked to their employer and said, you know, maybe we should start looking at this, some employers do offer it. They usually don't pay for any of it, but at least if more of them started offering it, it might get a little bit less expensive. The the bigger the group, um, the less expensive it is than selling an individual policy. So I think, you know, starting to talk to employers – you know, it's even something that's affecting um, those who are taking care of their parents uh, because they're having to miss work and are right. uh, absenteeism issues. So, so I think an, the employer plays an important role. I think also, as we said, educating yourself about what's available in the community. There are area agencies on aging that can provide alternatives. Uh, people don't think about this until they need it. You know, when mom all of a sudden 
um, needs long-term care, that's when they first start thinking about it. We need to start having conversations with our families. Are there guides? Are there people that, I mean, like if I want to work on my retirement, I can go call my financial planner and he would guide me through the million options. Is there is there an aging counselor that guides me through all of the options of, you know, caring for my aging parent? They're, they are increasingly available. You know, I think, for example, if one were to contact the local area agency on aging, I think sometimes the human resources department at folks' jobs can provide some referrals to folks. Uh, you know, sometimes you're going to meet someone who's trying to sell you a product, so you right. need to be careful about um, who you talk to. But I do think there's some good counseling programs out there. We're trying to do more to educate people about retirement planning. Um, so I, I think there's a recognition now that all of us baby boomers are starting to get old and recognizing that we're not really prepared with a little nest egg for retirement, they're starting to become more informational services that are non-biased, that can talk about lots of different options, that are helping people, but we still have a long ways to go. Mm. It's it's an interesting, I guess there's this great blessing or benefit to the fact that we're living longer, and yet somebody's got to pay for it. And you, you're right. We got to be careful. I mean, there's all these reverse mortgages. There's there's these other things. It seems like the the aging and um, the seniors might be more likely to fall victims of of praying organizations, groups that are actually looking to take advantage. That's true. There there is a lot of that going on, and one needs to be very careful. And you know, again, think about it when you're in the in your 40s and 50s. Um, and, and I think you're absolutely right. Part of the reason we say, face such a big challenge is because we're all living longer. You know, I'm expecting yeah. to live until I'm about 100. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the number of people living over age 85 is probably the fastest growing segment of our population, and they're the ones that need these services the most. Mm. So don't wait that long. You know, Alzheimer's is a huge part of this issue. Yeah. Over 5 million people need it now. In another 10 years, it's going to be about 7.5 million. That's driving a lot of this as well. And, you know, we need to start thinking about it and getting comfortable having these conversations and not be in denial. And there are roles for all kinds of uh, different sectors to play, private insurance, families, local community-based groups like, you know, senior centers, adult day centers. Uh, and and the, the um, needs are starting to address the demand. You know, people recognize that this is a growing need, and there's a lot of information out there, but you just need to be able to sift through it and make sure you find a trusted source. And, you know, I, I would say looking at area agencies on aging is a, is a good place to start off. If you, you know, look at uh, there's a service called an elder care locator. There's some good um, services on the Internet. You know, we've got some of it on our uh, www.ncoa.org website. Um, and there are some good information sources out there, but you need to be careful because you're right. Um, some folks will be taking advantage and mm. try to bilk you. Talk to us about the Older Americans Act. What What uh, is that? Good question. Well, you know, everybody knows uh, about Medicare and Social Security. Not many people know about the Older Americans Act, which is more about local community services that try to keep people independent. Uh, they do have a caregiver support program. Mm. They have some coverage for home care services. Uh, Meals on Wheels is part of uh, the Older Americans Act. Problem is um, very little funding available. Uh, It's not keeping pace with inflation. It's not keeping pace 
with the number of people who need it. So, you know, here at NCOA, I'm involved in budget discussions all the time to try to make sure that there aren't really long waiting lists. But it's a program that really makes these services available at the local level, uh, tries to help people even with finding jobs who are seniors and have a difficult time. Uh, it's very diverse. It's something that, again, um, it'd be nice if people understood that it's out there and available. If they get a meal, like a meal on wheel or congregate meal, that's actually paid for by the Older Americans Act. And we're, we're struggling to try to make sure that it keeps pace with the need. Mm. There's a bill moving through Congress that will strengthen it and reauthorize it. Just passed the Senate a couple weeks ago, trying to get them to pass it on the House, uh, in the House of Representatives. Um, you know, it's it's been an interesting year. It was There was a big, every 10 years, there's a White House conference on aging. Some of these issues were discussed uh, earlier this month. Um, and the anniversary of Medicare and Medicaid and the Older Americans Act, the 50th anniversary, wow. was this year. So uh, these are good programs. They're strong, but they're not completely meeting the need. And yeah. folks need to um, better understand, you know, the, the pros and cons, you know, there's some good things about them. There are things that certainly could be improved and modernized. Uh, and we need to educate ourselves and get engaged because yeah. we're all going to be facing these issues eventually. You know, I, I hear apparently we're all going to age. Yeah, that's, that's what I understand. Apparently that's happening to everybody. Thank goodness. It, it's better than the alternative. I know. Right? Can you imagine having to stay the same age? Horrible. Um, talk about, I mean, first of all, by the way, why on earth is there only an aging conference once every 10 years at the White House? Like, that's, a good question. that's like crazy to me, because especially right now, we're, we've got this, we're backloaded. We've got a lot of decisions that need to be made. Um, but some of this, it seems like we almost need to redefine, too, what aging means now, right? Because it's one thing to have senior care, but those seniors are going to be broken into categories of like active and those that are just needing services, right? And, and if we can keep people as active in their lives independently, like you were talking about, what a great benefit. Yeah, I mean, let's try to stay healthy so that, you know, when we get older, we can stay independent. You know, that that's a big part of, uh, I think, successful aging is to stay engaged, eat well, exercise, um, stay uh, socially engaged. And um, hopefully when you hit 85 or 90 years old, you'll have your nest egg and you'll stay healthy. So a lot of it is personal responsibility and behavior. A lot mm. of folks have multiple chronic conditions that they're struggling to manage. Um, and, you know, again, the longer you live, the more likely it is that you're going to become frail, going to need some help. Um, so you need to know what's out there and be prepared. And it, it starts at a younger age. We yeah. start thinking about it now. Recently, we had a story and a guest on here from Brigham Young that had done research about loneliness where he found that people that are lonely or just um, are kind of not visited a lot, they're off by themselves, whether they feel lonely or not, they they have a higher um, – they have major and serious physical and, and um, health issues. The equivalent of just being lonely and feeling lonely is the equivalent, I think, of like smoking 15 cigarettes a day to your health. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand that. And actually, you know, I think folks need to think about, again, about going to a local senior center. Yeah. Uh, they're different than they used to be. They have a lot of exercise programs. They have computer programs. It's a great place to meet other people and connect in the community. They travel together. 
uh, you know, they can be real community focal points for people who might be kind of lonely and don't get out of the house. Give it a try. Uh, it could be worth it. Some of the neatest centers I've seen built in uh, Utah lately have been our senior centers with incredibly advanced equipment to exercise. But I guess the other key that could be to everybody is more volunteering, more. I mean, I know there's got to be a lot of opportunities to volunteer. That's a great point. Um, You're absolutely right. I mean, I have a lot of friends who are retiring and are thinking about sort of the third part of their lives. You know, you had the first 30 years, the second 30 years, and what am I going to do for the next 30 years? Yeah. Helping out kids in school, um, helping in the community. You, you People have skill sets that uh, they they can really contribute, uh, and I think that's something we need to think a lot more about. That's a great point. Yeah, and just the neighbor in your neighborhood. Take your family. We had the greatest experience ever was with a 99-year-old friend of ours that was just a neighbor, but we'd visit him two, two to three times a month. And it changed my family's life, going over there. He'd tell us stories. It was powerful, and I think it was powerful for him. He passed away about six months ago or four months ago, and it was powerful for us. So I can't uh, – there's huge value in our seniors that we just don't seem to quite get. Absolutely. One of the things that I love are these models that co-locate an adult care center and a child care center. Oh, really? And they they interact during the day. And, you know, it's such a win-win for the kids, for the seniors. Uh, You know, I'd love to see more of that where you have them located in a similar area. And they, they interact, and it's just a, a wonderful kind of program. We should do more of that. I totally agree. Well, I had never even heard about that. But tell me the power of a little kid running up past a, a senior, and the scene, and just that, that simple interaction could give life to both of them. Sure. And mm. reading programs and you know talking about the, their experiences when they were younger. A lot of very vital people um, have a lot to contribute, and uh, we need to encourage that more. Yeah, totally. Well, we appreciate you, Howard, and the great work you're doing on the National Council on Aging. Again, would refer everybody, if you have questions, issues, if you just need a, a, be- a place to begin, go to www.ncoa.org, National Council on Aging, ncoa.org. And that could refer you more to these local uh, kind of agencies, the area agencies that uh, Howard was talking about. Great stuff. Folks, let's watch after our seniors. You know, we're all getting there. Some more than others. Faster than others. Some feel like it. Uh, it's, It's powerful stuff, folks. There's good in all, right? Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, one of my favorite uh, segments that we do on the show is called Seeing the Good in the World, where Kathy Aiken tracks down just super cool stories about people that are making a difference, and she's done it again for us today. Kathy, what's up? Yeah, Matt, you know, last hour you talked about bullying. Well, we found a young man from Washington State who was tired of that part of high school and decided to do something about it. 18-year-old Connor Sove is a recent high school graduate. The Yakima, Washington native loved the whole school experience. High school was, was a lot of fun. You go through a lot of different challenges and experiences that kind of build up who you are. I think high school is a really good learning experience and 
just a way to figure out what you want to do in life and how you have fun and all that kind of stuff. But some of the stuff he didn't like, the drama stuff that seems to be in every school hallway. So he wanted to do something different to make school better for everyone. Last August, um, I was on vacation to the Oregon coast and I was just kind of reflecting back on high school and all those different times where like, I knew friends went through hard times and I went through hard times as well. And I think sometimes we don't really realize that people go through things and some people like to, they don't like to share like personal stuff or if they're chilling down or anything, like some people just put on a smile and get through the day. And I think um, when I thought about that, I was like, I really kind of want to reach out and let people know that they're kind of appreciated and that people do care. He found the best way to reach out was how most teenagers interact today through social media. When I was scrolling through my Instagram feed, it just like dawned on me that that's kind of the platform on which I could reach people most effectively. And I think, um, and that night at the, in our hotel at the Oregon Coast, um, I just kind of started writing down all my ideas in the car. And once we got there, I put up the Instagram and I started posting and that's kind of how it got started. Instead of using Instagram to bully, as some do, Sove's plan was quite the opposite. He wrote a positive paragraph and added a picture for each person in his high school, all done anonymously. I wanted it to focus on the better aspects of people that need to be brought to light more often. And more often than not, some people don't get the opportunity to have that kind of spotlight on them. And I just wanted to focus on those people and kind of show others and my classmates that um, even though we don't see it, that they do do really great things. Just kind of do my research and kind of find out through friends and just the school. And I think once I started doing it, I noticed a lot more people, which was really cool. And then kind of got to see people that way. He saw 657 people to be exact and looked only for the good they had to offer. Once he found it, he shared it. The project really like, helped change my mindset to see bigger than people, and I feel like I feel a lot different than I did in the past. I feel more like I feel like I feel more positive towards things and more optimistic. And I think that's really cool to see that you don't always have to judge someone so quickly, but you can make like a quick analysis and be like, oh. You can see the good parts of them and then kind of go from there. The project has become so popular, Sove has over 14,000 Instagram followers, and his idea is spreading the simple notion of being kind. The future Gonzaga University student said he never dreamed his plan would go so far or impact so many lives. I think my biggest hope was just to inspire my classmates to kind of look past like our past because it doesn't really define us, like the negative things, and give people the chance to just kind of shine and like let people uh, be recognized for who they are. Okay. Sove was able to shine as well. During his speech as class valedictorian, he revealed his identity as the man behind the Instagram account, and the crowd's reaction was worth it all. Before I could even say it, I was admit that I was the account I could see my classmates start standing up and some of them started to cheer and yell and then 
once I announced it, it was just like super loud for a second. And it was really cool. That is, is cool. Is that amazing? Yeah. What a great young man. So his Instagram account name is the Benevolent One, followed by the number three. So the Benevolent One Three. Hmm. And here's just a cu- just a couple of examples of things he wrote. So for a young man, he said, "You're shy, but always helping." You, you see, you're shy, but always helping. Always. How do you do what you do? I'm not so sure, but I can guarantee anyone around you sees you work so hard in all you do. And then for a girl, he wrote, your enthusiasm about everything you do just makes people's days brighter. I encourage others to look toward you in times of trouble because they can see how you see the simplistic beauty in everything around you. So, you know, just mm. being kind, just oh, some yeah. kind comments, 657 <laughs> in the class of, let's see, 2015, 2016, 2017. He said he didn't get everybody in that final class, but it's kind of spread. So everybody's kind of picked up the ball and just you know, being it. kind, just saying kind things. Well, and duh, it doesn't that just seem like a no-brainer? A no-brainer. But, and that's one of those you go, why didn't somebody think of that yeah. before? And two, I mean, imagine that you received that and this kind comment and you didn't even, you didn't know anything about the person and yeah. you didn't. Yeah. And he did his research. He said he had two close girlfriends that knew what he was doing. So yeah. they were kind of his researchers. So if he didn't know something about someone, he they would find out just, just a little, right. you know, just a little portion. And just to hear that little part about yourself, I think would really boost your self-confidence. Do you remember the power of like the ice bucket challenge mm-hmm. and how that spread? Yep. What would happen if we just spread that idea like that? Is Why it, it is spreading. And that's the great thing about this whole story. Four, over 14,000 yeah. uh, followers on his Instagram account. And so just that simple message of being kind, making a kind comment, it, it you know, really doesn't take uh-uh. that much work to say something kind to someone. And it just makes someone's day. Oh, it's huge. But the, I love the vid- visual of seeing his entire class stand up and giving him a standing yeah. ovation at the end of uh, at the when he spoke as a Well, and what a great uh, experiment. Mm-hmm. Because and everyone's moved and it's oh, I just think that's awesome. Yeah. So that's why we do that's why we do this segment. Yeah. Helping see the good see in the, the world. world. Yep. Kathy, well done. Thank you, man, folks. I'm telling you, it, it's that simple, isn't it? One guy just starts finding the good. Do you see it in your family? Try it. Try it. Try for the next week, posting really positive comments about yourself and others, about your family, your kids. Post the positive stuff. Compliments. What do you see? The good. Just see what happens. Try it. Try to use your technology to lift everybody. Man, what a powerful, powerful example. Folks, simple things, right? The small, the weak, the tiny things can make such a big difference in our lives, and uh, you're part of that. We'll take a break. Come back. A whole hour more ideas more tools we'll be getting into some movie reviews mission impossible we'll review that with our uh, parent preview media expert rod gustafson will be joining us stick with us folks next hour right here on the matt townsend show This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Top of the morning to you. Hey, uh, great, uh, great news for you. Today we're celebrating Talk in Elevator Day. 
along with Systems Administrators Day and Heat Stroke Awareness Day. Pick your day. Take anyone you want. And you know what else we're celebrating? Uh, Congress is, they're on vacation. They're, they're going back for five weeks of vacation time. Seems interesting to me. That's a lot of vacation time. Now, they're not going to call it vacation time. They're just on recess. They're recess, uh-huh. But, I want that plan. But do you remember you. recess in school? Yeah. That, that was meant 15 minutes. That's right. You have 15 <laughs> minutes to sweat and get a drink. And they're just going to go back home, you know. Because it's they not like they don't have a lot of things on the plate. Well, yeah. You know? Some would wonder if they did got anything done the last few months, right? Right. Hmm. Well, so happy vacation. No, recess to uh, all of those legislators. That's great. Uh, some interesting news, by the way. Um, this is just in. Australian teen wins Rubik's Cube championship. Are you very good at the Rubik's Cube? No. I believe I saw that. It was it was amazing how quick he did that. Six I thought seconds. It was in, I thought it was in actually a, a fast motion, but it was not. And really? it was that fast. He's it's just incredible. very nimble. Oh, wow. In how fast three was by it? Three, six seconds. 5.69 seconds. Wow. That seems I, impossible. I can't do the Rubik's Cube. No. I can't do it. I, I can do one kind of side of it. Ben, can you do it? If you say yes, I'm coming over this counter. I can do like one side and yeah. then the oh, colors yeah. on, yeah. like match the colors up with each of the sides. But that's about it. Really? Yeah. He's an engineer. He can't even do it, really. <laughs> scary. That is scary. Yeah, I'm not a Rubik's guy. No. But uh, congrats to uh, Felix Zemdegs, 19. But see, now, the, I thought the Rubik's Cube was dead, but it's back. My kids want them. And we bought one from China. And it fell apart. And I'm like, guys. And he was so upset. Like, oh, dad. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is the fastest way to fix it, to get it all completed. <laughs> you break <laughs> it, tear it apart. we can put it back together. There you go. It may not ever work again. I didn't know that was back in. Yeah, they're really popular. It's kind of like cords, corduroys. Are those back? I saw a guy wearing them. Cords. But I couldn't tell because the guy wearing them may not be the best example of what's in style. <laughs> what's in? <laughs> but I saw them, and they were on campus. And if you listen, you could hear the – Yeah, the brushing back and forth. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. My thighs do that anyway just when I walk. I've been walking a lot. I don't want to brag, but I've been walking a lot. My foot's getting better. because you're an athlete. I, I'm not just an athlete. I am a, an athlete in healing, <laughs> plantar fasciitis, a, a – a tragic issue that that a lot of top world-class athletes face. Yes. And I've been facing it for two, two and a half years. <laughs> I, it's, it's getting better. It's, I'm so happy. Thank you, Ben. Apparently the prince of whatever just walked in. <laughs> That's great. I was trying to figure out which one to use in that one. Wasn't that a great one? Yeah. You need to go get a sound. In fact, I'll put you on the search, and Don can help you. Okay. Uh, corduroy's rubbing sound. You need corduroy's rubbing because that's a great sound. They probably actually have it, so I'll, I'll I'm look sure for it's it. somewhere. That is one of the sounds from my childhood. Corduroy's, <laughs> just the ah, oh, those are good good times. Corduroy's and hair puffing went back in the day in the '80s when we puffed the hair up. Mm-hmm. Mm, good sounds. Give me some sounds for those, Ben. And also give me a sound of a claw bang. A bang uh, that the ladies used to wear in the 80s that was represented, like symbolized a claw. A claw. claw bang. I don't know what that sound will be, but it's probably like a ha, ha, like an eagle. Ka! 
Okay, look that up. Clubbing. I'm on it. Um, hey, welcome to the show, folks. We, uh, we're going to get serious now. Let's go straight to the headlines, find out what Kathy's got cooking for us. A car with Florida license plates crashed into a barrier by the U.S. Capitol this morning. The car did not enter the secure perimeter, and the south barricade of the Capitol is now closed. The driver of that car is now in police custody. Investigators are scrambling to get answers after part of an airplane wing was found this week on an island off the Indian Ocean. Officials say the serial number found from the piece belongs to a Boeing 777 aircraft. Now they just need to find whether or not it belongs to the Malaysian aircraft that went missing in March of last year. Authorities say they're hoping to find an answer quickly so family members of those on board can have some type of closure. Zimbabwe's wildlife minister is seeking extradition for Walter Palmer, the man who admitted to killing a lion just outside a national park. U.S. officials have also launched an investigation into the hunt that Palmer said was done legally. Scientists who study the big cats say the African population has been cut in half since 1980. A former boxer's skills may have saved his life this morning. Craig Eisen survived a shark attack while surfing in Australia by punching it. The 52-year-old was flipping off his was flipped off his board and suffered serious injuries to his left leg and hand. It was believed to be a bull shark. Eisen managed to get to shore where onlookers tied the surfboard's leg ropes to his thigh to stop the bleeding. Mm. It was nearly two weeks ago when world champion surfer Mick Fanning was attacked by a shark while competing on television in South Africa. Beijing was chosen this morning to host the 2022 Olympic Winter Games. The Chinese capital will be the first city to host both the Winter and Summer Olympics. The Summer Games were played there in 2008. And Matt, there's a story about a selfie earlier this week that makes you wonder, what was that guy thinking? Oh, come on! Todd Fassler was apparently trying to pose for a selfie with a rattlesnake when he was bitten. Fassler needed numerous doses of an anti-venom medication and his medical bill over (laughs) $153,000. The report doesn't say how many doses, but it's known that poisonous snake bites can take dozens of doses. Oh, come on! (laughs) Come on, what was he thinking? Here, kitty, 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 here, kitty, 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 kitty. Here, rattlesnake. Wow, look at those boots. Look at those fine. <laughs> That's not a boot. That uh, is crazy. Yeah, I got a little too close. You know, we have snakes up in the mountains we here. Do. Yes, we do. And uh, you just don't mess with them. No. And you know what? The little snakes or the, the little rattlers, mm-hmm. watch out for them. Are they worse? They don't know how to control their venom, <laughs> I guess. So, And they're just so cute to play with. I had a friend almost lose his hand. Not oh, a friend, a, a friend of a friend. Yeah, I wouldn't call him my friend. But isn't that crazy? Yeah, okay. it's crazy. I had a brother-in-law. I think he was up in the Uinta Mountains when he had to kill one with a shovel because it really? was in their camp. Yeah. Yeah, so that was scary. Oh, man. Have yeah. I got a – you want to hear a shovel story? Yeah. So we were driving <laughs> with my friend – when I was, I was probably 18 – and uh, we're, we're just driving and with my young – my youth leader – in my church, and all of a sudden we saw this dead snake in the road. And we're like, was that a snake? And we drove by it, and, and I'm like, that kind of freaked me out. And he goes, oh, my heck, is it's dead. Let's go pick it up. So no. we pulled around, dead snake, we thought. No, it was dead. It was just like the lady yesterday that was thought to be dead in the freezer? Yeah, no. Kind of, no, this, was, this, this, definitely this snake dead. was really dead, but okay. it was fresh dead. Okay. And so we... I didn't. He thought, let's let's pick it up and take it back to town and let's go play some tricks on people. So we put it in a box, put it in the trunk. Wasn't it kind of smashed? No, just because, you know, they're really muscly. 
It wasn't like a rattlesnake, but it was a huge snake. So we took it, went back to town, went to my best friend's house, got in his car, and just coiled the snake up right on the console, like where his gear shift would be. Oh, my goodness. And then we went down the street. And this was before cell phones, so we had an old phone call him. And we're like, dude, come come down to my house. Hurry. I want to talk to you. And Bart's here, so come on down. And he's like, okay. And he ran out, threw his shoes in his window, ran around, jumped in the car, started the car. Next thing you know, he jumps out the door. And we were dying laughing. <laughs> and um, then he grabbed his shoes and then ran inside and started getting the keys to the next car. And he's just going to take another car and leave the snake, <laughs> like for his sisters to find. So we went oh, we took cruel. that snake to about 10 more homes and played the trick on 10 more people. And it was the best week of our lives. And by the way, that snake, after a week, mm-hmm. it started to fall apart. <laughs> right, but it had to stink a little bit, I would guess. It was, it was a little stinky. And yeah. just a little – it just started losing liquids. You know, they don't hold their liquids as long as they Not used when to. they're smashed, yeah. Isn't that fun, though? So you, so that's that's how you use a snake. You know, having three boys, that is definitely a boy thing. Is that a boy thing? Oh, for sure. There were times I'd have to ask my husband, why do boys do that? Why do they do that? Why do they bring dead animals Why do home? they do dead snakes? Put them on somebody's, But that's you know, hilarious. That is hilarious. Everybody's actually. afraid of a funny. snake. Yeah. Everybody. Very, very true. You know? It was kind of like the uh, scene in... Um, uh, Tommy what, Boy. No... <laughs> I just went blank on it. And, Dumb and, and he's in the plane, and all the snakes are inside his plane and oh. coming, you know. Um, uh, snakes Indiana on the plane. Jones. Indiana Jones. Oh. Indiana Jones. Oh, Snakes on a Plane, that's a great movie. I have not seen that one. No, but he's sitting there, and all the snakes kind of snowing mm. mm. between his legs. Yeah. Even better was Tommy Boy when the deer wakes up in the backseat. <laughs> we're speaking movies. That's why we're talking about movies, because we're going to be talking with the great movie expert. Uh, Rod Gustafson is going to be joining us. And tonight, I can't wait. Tonight is your fa- is this yeah. your favorite movie? I, it's one of them. Mission Impossible, yes. Rogue Nation, I Rogue think those Nation. Are great. Those are very good. Tom Cruise is quite impressive. You he you're still in does love all with Tom. It. Not really. No, I I just think the movie is very interesting, and I love the plot. It's usually really thick. So really, I like that. yeah. I just I like, like the music. But I think is he getting too old to pull it off? We'll oh, find I, out. Yeah, I think no, and I, I understand that, that's number five tonight. I understand he signed up for number six already. So, really? Yeah, there's going to be another. So one. he's in for the he's in for, for the, the long, long haul. haul. Yep, he's going to be sixty by then. But whatever. Whatever. Mission Impossible sixty. <laughs> that's great. Sometimes when you're sixty, there's a lot of things that feel like they're impossible, but they don't have to be. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Rod Gustafson will be joining us. Parent from ParentPreviews.com. He's going to give us uh, his take on two movies so you can get prepared for this weekend. Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. He'll give us his view on that one and the movie Pixels, uh, which uh, will be an interesting one with Adam Sandler. We'll find out what he thought. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. everybody there's some good music right there mission impossible rogue nation it's to be released i believe tonight and uh we've got a really great special for you uh we're going to be bringing on our good guest our good friend rod gustafson to help us uh do a review of the movie mission impossible and as along with the movie pixels Two movies that uh, are 
are uh, they're out. And remember, Rod is with ParentPreviews.com. He's a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective, you know, which makes it easier so you can know as a parent, are these the movies we should be taking our kids to? What do you need to watch out for? So let's go to uh, Skype, I believe, and find out um, if uh, what Rod thought of these movies. Rod, are you there? <coughs> Rod, are you there? You know what? Can't get Rod right now. Uh, we'll come back to Rod, though. But another thing we were going to do, because before the break, we we went into our archives because I was asking for sounds. Uh, I wanted I wanted a blast to the past. I wanted to hear about a sound that I that I hadn't heard since I was a young boy. So I'm going to play the sound. It's hard to hear. So listen up. It's very subtle. There it is. Keep it going. That, my friends, is the sound of corduroys. Ah, <laughs> oh, just didn't you hear that? That rhythmic corduroy sound. If that doesn't bring back your childhood, I do not know what will. Interesting stuff. Uh, interesting stuff. We're still trying to get Rod on the phone. And one of the things that I uh, want to do is find a way to, you know, to, to, to try to go to these movies. There's so many movies I've been wanting to see, and yet I don't seem to have the time to go to the movies. So Rod's kind of lined up for me three or four movies that I want to see. And yet I haven't had the chance to see tonight. They will be launching the new movie, um, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. That's with uh, uh, Tom Cruise, you know, who's Ethan Hunt in the movie. And he's uh, this is the fifth one, I believe. I think he's got he's just committed to do even another one. So is Rod ready to go? Okay. You know what? Let's do this. That's fine. While we are working, we are going while working on getting Rod on the line with us, what I wanted to talk about earlier was um, if you have trouble waking up. Now, Ben, are you a morning person? I'm kind of like half and half. I can stay up pretty late, but I can wake up pretty early. How many hours of sleep did you get last night? Like seven. Oh, man. Are <laughs> you kidding I, me? I can do both. I, did, I got four hours again. But the, week, the night before, I got six. So when I get six, whole new world. Yeah. I mean, I really feel like a superhero. Yeah, I, I feel better throughout the day when I wake up early, but I don't always. Well, check this out. If you have trouble waking up, folks, this may be what you need to go invest your money in. There is a new ejector bed that everybody needs, an ejector bed. Who doesn't want a high-voltage ejector bed? Well, some people have actually put one together. Uh, Colin first built what he's calling the high voltage ejector bed, which is a metal frame which resembles basically a Murphy bed. But instead of folding backwards into the wall, this actually shoots you forward with an air compressor and two pistons, and it pushes the bed forward at a set speed. Uh, it also he also just to make it more exciting added some lights and a couple of trumpets for maximum wake up power. So. <laughs> Is that messed up or what? So anyway, if you need some help getting out of bed, call Colin first because he'll he'll take care of you. He's also, by the way, um, trying to develop uh, a system that not only gets you up and wakes you up, but actually dresses you. So look at that on your 
shelves at Ikea. Look for that. Okay, apparently we finally got uh, Rod online. And uh, Rod, welcome to the show, my friend. Hello, Matt. Hello, Rod. I need need one of those beds. I really do. Yeah, the ones that just shoot you out of bed. Yeah, and the automatic dressing thing. Have you ever seen Wallace and Gromit in the long trousers? Oh, I love that. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, see, that's what we need. We just need Wallace and Gromit. I've been looking at a car that drives me to work without me even having to do any work. Yeah. Now, if I could just get dressed and do the old Wallace and Gromit thing, life would be good. Hey, you've got you've been you've been busy, haven't you? You've got Mission Impossible, a preview you'll do for us right now, and Pixels. You're you're today's a this is a big weekend. Yeah, it is a big weekend. We've got a lot going on, and uh, sure, would you like to start with Mission Impossible? Let's start there. Be one that I think a lot of people are going to be interested in. Yeah, yeah. um, So Mission Impossible, Matt. I really enjoy this franchise. It got off to a rough start twenty years ago. We weren't very impressed. Had a lot of uh, violence, fair amount of language, sexual content. But what has impressed me about it? it, Well, uh, two things. First of all. It's been getting more interesting. The writing has been getting better. The directing, the stunt work, which I'll talk about in a moment, is phenomenal. But the other thing is I am noticing a distinct lack of sexual content, which is wonderful from a parent's perspective. And the profanity seems to be dropping in each subsequent film as well. And I hate to make too big of a deal of this because this is number five that's releasing this weekend. And, you know, I keep thinking, okay, number six, please don't don't go off. <laughs> don't blow it. I'm really, yeah, I'm really liking the trend with this. So, first of all, before I even tell you about what the movie's about, this could be a good action film that your teens could go see. Definitely still not for children. We've still got okay. violence. Yeah. But, uh, but it's, a, and it's a fun movie, too. They managed to put some, uh, some comedy in here, and at the same time, it's not sexually oriented comedy. It's so much of what we see in PG-13 movies today is. So. That's great. And so, so, of course, Tom Cruise is playing Ethan Hunt, who is the classic Mission Impossible character, and they work for this top-secret organization called the IMF, which is even more top-secret than the CIA is. Mm. And the movie, the movie opens up with they're basically discovering that the government wants to pull the plug on the IMF because... They are convinced that the IMF's big enemy, which is a, another nefarious group called the Syndicate, the government's convinced they don't even exist and that the IMF is just wasting their time and money. So they want to shut the whole thing down. Well, there's a small group of people that include the Ethan Hunt character, and then there's three other guys played by Jeremy Renner and Simon Pegg and Bing Rames. They're all back in Washington, D.C., but meanwhile, Ethan Hunt, he's out in the field, and he has just been targeted by the new head of the syndicate. He's running for his life, and that's right about where he gets the phone call saying that basically his job is over. Hmm. But he still needs to. He still feels like he needs to go and capture this guy and save the world and everything else. So, so that's essentially the setup for the show. Um, one of the impressive things I said I mentioned the stunts. Tom Cruise does. Some of the stunts in this film, a lot of the stunts in this film himself. Mm. And in the opening minutes of the movie, there's an amazing airplane scene where he's hanging on the outside of an airplane while it's taking off. And it's really quite incredible. And uh, and uh, so and we will have actually later today, we'll have some videos up on our website of Tom talking about how he does those stunts and demonstrating. Did he really do that? Film. The opening scene? He did. He did. Now, when you watch the making of video, 
you you can tell that he is harnessed. They have a harness around him, which of course they yeah. digitally removed for the movie. But he is on the side of a plane while it's taking off. Which I mean, he he says the wind and everything just incredible. The forces <sighs> that come against your body while you're trying to do that. But, well, yeah, and maybe but, I mean uh, even if he is tethered, you know, you're still tethered at whatever 150 miles an hour. Yeah, flapping yeah. against oh, yeah. an airplane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, amazing, amazing stunts, some incredible car chases, and uh, great uh, chemistry between the characters in this film as well, which makes it fun. Now, and I should mention that, once again, there is violence in this movie. We've got on-screen shootings and stabbings, but they're quite sanitized. We don't get a lot of blood effects and that type of thing. And there's an argument both ways on that. Some people say, well, then you're teaching kids that, you know, you can shoot somebody and you know, they hardly feel a thing and it's not that big of a deal. Right. On the other hand, a lot of times parents appreciate movies that don't have all of the detailed blood and gore. So depending on which side of the fence you're on, you know, that's what you can expect in Mission Impossible. But it, it's nice. Uh, the sexual content is really minimal. Uh, we do still have some scatological terms in the profanities, but about five of them, uh, which relatively speaking for a PG-13 movie these days is quite low. And there's a few there's a few other milder profanities, right. we call them. And, uh, but again, relative to other PG-13 movies, you'll hear a lot less swearing in this one. So the teens, this would be pretty good to, you know, the teens can go, just let them know, talk, them, talk to them about the violence after. Remember, we yeah, don't do and, this at home. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, parents, it's always up to you. You know better than we do what's going to be appropriate for your children. But it, it, the bottom line is it's hard to find a top-end action movie that uh, that backs off this much from sexual content and even from profanity. So yeah. It's the best of the worst, I guess. We could put it that way. Man. Well, when you think about like a typical Bond movie, the sexual content's usually mm-hmm. pretty high. So it's yeah. this is great. I mean, to have yes. the energy, the excitement of the action thriller without all that, that's great. And I'm glad you brought that up with the Bond movies. What I appreciate about the Ethan Hunt character, there is a female character that shows up in this movie. We do see her in a bikini at one point, but that, you know, that's about as far as the sexual content goes. And she actually is a very intelligent woman, and she she's a little bit of a mysterious character. I don't want to give anything away, but she, she's got brains, and she has great agility. You know, sometimes they'll have these... Um, women in action movies where they're doing fight scenes that you're thinking, you know, is that really possible? In this case, though, her big benefit is just how agile she is. And so it it really comes across as believable. And she is a uh, she's a character that I think uh, is a, a, a fairly decent role model for for teen girls that may come and see this movie as well. And we appreciate that the Ethan Hunt character works with women as a, as opposed to James Bond, who seems to be more interested in working you know with women in a very different way. Mm. So that part of it's much more positive. Yeah. As well. What what uh, so overall you gave the whole thing a B. Yes, that's great. We did. And sorry, we had some technical problems this morning. Our full review was not on the website. It is now. And so you can check out the website and get all the details. But yeah, be great on this one. And again, you know, a warning for the violence. Mm -hmm. This is not for an eight-year-old. This is older teens. But this could be a fun, 
uh, parent and uh, teen date oh, type cool. thing, too. Yeah, and go up for ice cream afterwards. There you go. We need that. Talk about yeah. Pixels. Uh, another Adam Sandler moment. Um, what, what's your take on Pixels? <laughs> well, Adam Sandler, uh, anybody who's listened to me knows that <laughs> usually his movies are not ones that I'm very pleased with. Pixels is going to be very confusing to parents, I think, because they're going to watch the trailer and they're going to see all these really cool animated video game characters from the early 1980s. And the trailer really comes across as this could be a movie that you could take an eight-year-old to. And so parents warning on this one, I wouldn't do that. Um, it is, it's a comedy and it's, it's an action sci-fi comedy. It's about three guys who, when they were younger in the early 1980s, they used to go to the video game arcade and play Pac-Man and Space Invaders and all of that stuff. And they entered this competition. Well, somehow, somebody recorded the video game activity of this competition on a VHS. You remember those? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And NASA sent it out into outer space, and some alien civilization has found the cassette, and they think that this is an act of war. So now they're coming to invade planet Earth. (laughs) using these same characters. And so they have these weapons where these characters appear much larger than life on the streets. So we've got Pac-Man going down the streets of San Francisco, trying to eat people in cars and, and that type of thing. <laughs> so these, these three guys who were these video gamers, now they need to save the world using their video game skills. And get this, like to show you how much of a stretch this movie is, Matt, Kevin James is one of the people, of course, a well-known comedian. Right. And now he's grown up to become the president of the United States. And so he's calling the shots as the president. So if you can believe that Kevin James can be the president, you may enjoy Pixels. <laughs> Otherwise, though, this is a, a very clunky movie artistically, as most Adam Sandler movies are. It follows the usual Adam Sandler hero formula, which I can talk about more another day. Yeah. Um, and of course, there is there's some video game violence in this, but it's it, the violence really, um, in all fairness, is much more uh, a lower level than what you would find in Mission Impossible. But the part of this film that caught me off guard is there are many moments of sexual innuendo that I think they're hoping will go over the heads of kids. But I'm thinking, why does this need to be here? Yeah, it's really. actually a really yeah, it's a fun concept turn it into a PG-rated movie rather than a PG-13, and this could have been a fun family movie. So there's just really unnecessary scenes and moments of questionable content in this film that you're thinking, that didn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. So, so just that more, is what... More Adam Sandler, huh? Yes, yes, exactly. And that's what keeps it from um, from making the grades for us as far as recommending this for family. And you can just see that there's a certain group of people that will eat this up. Yes, yes. The the Pac-Man way. The Pac-Man, exactly. And and yes, and from a marketing perspective, Matt, it's really quite smart because obviously the older, the the baby boomers, you know, guys like my age, maybe a little bit younger, are are going to come to this film. And there's a good chance they're going to bring their kids with them. And I think a lot of kids will be interested in this because of the premise as well. So mm. it does have that two-pronged marketing angle. And uh, But, yeah, it really, it really does not come off well artistically either. So, so it sounds like your recommendation is uh, that, I, that I probably ought to go to Mission Impossible with my kids instead of Pixels. Yeah, I would say if you're choosing between the two, 
those are probably uh, that would probably be your your better bet. Hey, by the way, I should also mention maybe we, we can talk about this a little bit more next week. There's a Lego documentary that's just coming out this weekend too. Yeah, it's really aimed at adults, but very interesting a documentary about the history of Lego. So if you don't want to take the kids, and if you're a baby boomer Lego lover, that may be right. The best bet. Is there in the Lego br- brickumentary? Is there much violence or sexual content? No, no. There you it, go. Good. Really, yeah. Clean slate on everything. But oh, uh, with the one thing we were surprised about, we thought it might be a little bit more interesting for young people. It really delves into deeply into the history of Lego. So if you're a Lego nerd, you're gonna love it. We didn't even hear a single profanity. In it. That's so, great. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's a brickumentary. Cool. Brickumentaries don't come out very often. No, they don't. don't. (laughs) Well, Rod, we appreciate you, my friend. Great work. Uh, Again, uh, the great review of Mission Impossible Pixels and a a quick review of the Lego Brickumentary. Keep up the good work, and everybody, you can go read those reviews and and actually get you know resources to all of their ideas and and their grades for each of these uh, movies on ParentPreviews.com. ParentPreviews.com. Good stuff. Let's take a break, and uh, when we come back, we'll, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll come back, do a quick hit, and then uh, go see our good friends down there at BYU Sports Nation. Come back. When you come back, we'll just take a couple minutes and talk about the new um, treat called a Milky Bun. It's like the Milky Way, but it's a Milky Bun. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. You know, you may have heard about it on the internet, something called a milky bun. A milky bun. It's it's a newfangled concoction, folks, that you do not want to dismiss. Donuts with ice cream stuffed inside. Mmm. You know, I like to do I always like to talk about food right before the show ends. So you can go grab a snack and then watch BYU Sports Nation and listen to it. Uh, So anyway, I wanted to bring up this uh, really cool treat. Donuts and ice cream stuffed inside at the new Afters Ice Cream Parlor located just outside of L.A. Owner Scott Nyam has had this inspiration from Asian desserts. In Asia, I guess they eat a lot of sweet buns and they dip them in milk. Nummy. Well, so he thought, man, maybe we ought to just make a donut. Glazed or unglazed, take your pick, and then we just stuff ice cream in the middle of it. You cut it up, put ice cream in there. 16 flavor options, including cookie butter, jasmine tea and cereal, magic panini press, and then they press them down on the panini press. Holy cow, that sounds good. So if you get to L.A., go check out a milky bun. And if you don't, they're only $3.50 a pop. That's a really good deal. I could have four of those. Ben, don't be rude. Ben just gave me the look. Man, you put little peanut butter ice cream in there. That's practically lunch, right? That is lunch. Yeah. No practically about it. (laughs) Man, I'm just going to go get myself a donut and an ice cream cone. Heaven. 
Isn't it great? Food is so great. Uh, you know what? Let's do this. Let's. We're going to take a quick break. Come back to our buddies at BYU Sports Nation. We'll, I'm sure we'll end up talking about food with them as well. We're also going to let them pick which day we're celebrating today because there's three big days and we can't celebrate them all. Systems Administrators Day, Heat Stroke Awareness Day, or Talk in the Elevator Day. We're going to let them pick the day they want to celebrate. Stick with us, folks. We'll be visiting with our good buddies, BYU Sports Nation. Up next, this is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to now shoot it down to our good buddies just down one floor on the elevator ride. Our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, Jack. man. Hello. My mouth is full. Sorry, Brian's going to talk for a minute. You guys, you will not believe this, but somebody brought us bagels. Mm -hmm. And they said it it was from you guys. Yes, that's right. Really, it's from our producer Brandon Crow. But oh, I love Brandon, Brandon. Thanks for giving us credit. See, I was gonna, I was gonna take all the credit. I Spencer, thought it was Brian that did much, it. He's a, he's a better man than, than myself. Guess what I'm eating right now, Matt? I bet you're eating. If I'm betting, you are eating a. Let me get it right here. I got, uh, a milky bun. A milky bun. A milky? No, no. It's a cinnamon raisin bagel. <laughs> but oh, good okay. guess. A milky bun, by the way, is a new invention out of L.A. with a donut. Cut in half with ice cream inside. Mm. Mm. Let's think of the next way we can kill people off with high cholesterol. (laughs) You know what? Excessive sugar intake. uh, If you really want to know, let me tell you. How about the Texas Ranger two-foot dog, two-foot long hot dog? That's dumb. That'll kill you. I can't really relate to that at all. Did you guys notice we played elevator music? Uh, Yes. Do you know what date is, Matt? uh, Do you know what date is? National Talk in an Elevator Day. No, Brian. <laughs> Lose the lip, dude. <laughs> kind of, Brian. It's talking elevator day. Talk in elevator day. That's one day. But guys, today's a threefer. Okay. You get a pick. I'm letting you two pick. Uh, systems administrator day. So this is for the, all the IT people out there. Heat stroke awareness day. <laughs> Boy, that's a thrilling one. <laughs> this is because all the football teams, college football, are having their practices. And talk in elevator day. Talk in elevator day. Is that the one you want, Brian? Let me yep. write your vote down there. Talk yep. in elevator Only day. Only because of the music that you played. Wasn't that hot? If you didn't play the music, then do, I would do, probably do, go with do, maybe heat do, stroke. Yeah. Day. Well, I mean, I know you like a good heat stroke, Brian. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a former athlete. and uh, I'm a present athlete, by the way. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> you, you, yeah, you're don't, funny. Don't That's be rude. What? I'm not being rude. You're just funny, man. I can't give you a compliment. No, you can. That's a I, good sign when, I, when people laugh at your jokes. <laughs> do you feel See, it? You can't do anything. You just have to be quiet because you feel like you're in an elevator yeah. when you're listening to it. I, so I can't even look at anyone's eyes right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to look up at the elevator buttons. Are you one of those? Are you one of those people, Matt? Because every time I get yeah. in an elevator and there is somebody there, even if I'm on vacation and like there, especially if there are a lot of people in the elevator, uh-huh. I feel like I should say something. <laughs> you're like, I gotta say something here. This every is day is talking the elevator day for me. Hi. Let Have me you give ever you experience the um, elevator uh, experiment. What's where that? 
you so you're in an elevator with maybe a, a, a friend and you guys turn <laughs> and and look you know yeah. a completely different way that's exactly and what i do see how somebody reacts uh-huh. when they come in and so me and corby eason uh <laughs> one of my former teammates yeah. during the vegas bowl in 2009 we we decided to do this and dennis pitta and his wife come in <laughs> and she smiles at us and yeah. just turns and and follows us and we just start laughing and dennis gets embarrassed he's like what are you doing what's going on here <laughs> it's a joke and she's that's like funny. oh i don't know I, yeah. you know what you do though i like to right when the door is shut i like to turn around really fast and stare at people <laughs> and then i kind of stand there in like a sultry way and if you guys don't know what that means come oh, on up and i'll show you oh i know what a sultry way i don't know what that looks like you will you just show brian just show Brian. Yeah, or uh, or you could just look up a picture of Matt Townsend on the internet. That's it. Yes, yeah, it no, yeah. It, make sure it's my glamour shot though, because that's where my hair is blowing in the wind. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. And then I just look at him in in their in the eye and until they say until they pull the alarm. What's that? Okay, what's the dude's name on Tangled, the Disney movie? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Flynn Rider. Okay. He has the sultry look. What's it called? Uh, Smolder. Smoldering. The smolder. Oh, yes. That's, I got to get that's that That's your now. look, right? That is. That's the smolder. <laughs> smolder. And you know what I like to do sometimes is I turn so I have a shoulder and then I, I smolder over the shoulder. <laughs> that's, a, that's a new move I've put out there. There's the smolder, but then there's the smolder over the shoulder. Smolder it's kind of where shoulder. I look back over my shoulder, but I'm smoldering. Smolder shoulder. Mm. That's the new move. I got teased all of last year about blue steel. <laughs> Which is, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. You are the blue steel eye look, yeah, yeah. yeah to <laughs> what's, oh, wait, what's his name in Zoolander? What's his, Derek? Derek Zoolander, yes, to Derek <laughs> Zoolander. So, you guys remember all these these references? No, my producer keeps shouting things okay. in my ear. Yeah, it's my producer smolder. fell asleep. Flynn Rider, Derek <laughs> Zoolander, <laughs> Derek Zoolander, smolder. He's he's in your ear. Um, yes. Hey, uh, that those producers you've got that are so great. Are, did they actually put a show together for you today or something? They did their best. They tried their darndest to yeah. keep us on track. You and think I'm joking? Like they'll be like, "Okay, guys, really, we've we've got to do a show." Like, we, we, stop <laughs> looking at the random YouTube videos. I, uh, I know. I listen to your meetings. You guys, <laughs> there's a lot of just sleeping going the on. The free flow. Try, the free to, flow is what we do. Yeah, sleeping in the form of unnecessary yelling and screaming, laughing. <laughs> Eating bagels. Eating bagels. It's a good life. Yeah, we put together a show. What, what's you going to talk about? I don't know if you heard about this, but there was an epic social media meltdown involving a BYU tailgating policy yesterday. No. Season ticket holders got their new policies along with their tickets, obviously, and it was an old policy. And so all of these people are like, no RV parking. What? I can only tailgate four hours before the game. What in the world is BYU <laughs> doing? It was crazy really it was crazy it was tradition spirit honor the jersey debacle yeah like it, it was the biggest meltdown since then are you serious and it was just a mistake it was a mistake so tom homo gets involved we'll april- tell you what he said okay. to like slow everybody's roll it's an april fool's joke and then utah fans started to go after byu saying it wasn't a mistake they meant to do it but then people freaked out and so now they're just oh, changing boy. it on the fly and then and tom had something to say Ooh. To one of those Utes, you're you're not going to want to miss. Interesting. It. Yeah. Okay. But you have, yeah, but you have. Is it is it just a text you're going to show us, or are you going to have actual video of Tom saying it? It's it's a tweet. Okay. It's a series of tweets. That's actually. all right. That's all right. You know what you ought to do? Just I'm just saying, 
Maybe you ought to have somebody mouth or, or make the words and, and act it out and then take a picture of Tom Holmo, cut his mouth out, and then stick your lips in there and do it. Just imagine Tom Holmo in his Abraham Lincoln costume from Halloween <laughs> okay. a little over uh, yeah. Do that. I'm serious. You ought to have a tweet talk. Yeah. <laughs> the mouth just opening. I'm just, it's not, you just talk for it. It's cool. It's like a Jimmy Fallon thing. We also have another head coach from one of BYU's opponents on the show. We already talked to Sweet. Uh, Utah State's head coach. Now we're going to talk to the head coach of the ECU Pirates, Ruffin McNeil. Wow. He's Ruffin. on the show. And it's a Fast Friday with a former BYU great and six-year NFL veteran linebacker, Brian Keel. He's Man. always very, yeah. very opinionated. Which is cool. why we love him. That's right. And you got, I mean, if you're a football coach and your name is Ruffin, come on. Ruffin McNeil. What's your name? Ruffin. My name is Ruffin. I don't know. If and I he's take... the coach of the East Carolina Pirates. I don't know if I could take him serious, Ruffin. I would just, oh. it just reminds me of like Muffin, too close to Muffin. You know what? Bring that up, Bri. Soft and, Bring that up you know, in your interview yeah. today. Yeah, I dare you. Hey, Coach, you seem kind of like a weak dude because your name kind of sounds like Muffin. Are you a Muffin or a How Puffin? How would you respond to that? How do you, yeah, I don't. Anyway, it's been nice knowing you, Bri. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. As long as I'm here in Provo, I'm good. He's you're, all the way out of the side. I know, you're good. Watch him just throw the door open, then you're dead. Well, guys, it's going to be a great show. <laughs> Have a great show, and happy um, Talking Elevator Day. Hey, same to you. And watch out for heat stroke. Don't don't underestimate that day either. Oh, nope, I'm hydrated. There you go. Why stay. We, yeah. Stay hydrated. Is it? Yeah. I don't know. Figure it out. Drink water. Okay. okay. Good luck on your show. See you, gentlemen. Good stuff. I'm telling you, they came on eating food. Did you hear that? Makes horrible audio. Just masticating. Is that the word? Masticating their their chaw, their food. Hey, have I got a uh, a great hero? You know, we like to always end with a hero story. Uh, if you haven't seen this video, we're, we will post it on our um, Twitter feed. You got to go see the video of Zion Harvey, eight year old Zion Harvey, who is my honestly my hero of the day. In fact, when I saw the video, we went out to dinner with my family and. We all gathered around and watched it as a family. It was that powerful. This eight-year-old Baltimore boy just received um, had his his hands had been amputated and his feet had been amputated because he had developed a life-threatening bacterial infection about two years ago. So he just had a ten-hour operation that took place earlier this month at Children's Hospital in Philadelphia, and he had two new hands transplanted onto his arms. Can you imagine that? 10-hour surgery with about 40, I think, doctors and nurses and aides and everybody in the surgical center. And they basically put these hands on this boy. And you got to watch the video. It is the most incredible thing. You can actually see uh, some video of just the hand as it's, as it's refilling up with blood. And you can see the capillaries turning red and the hand going from white to red. It's beautiful, beautiful video. But more valuable um, is just the, what he said. And it, let me just see. Do we have the audio to that? It, the audio, you got to go listen to this boy. He's, he just talks about good things happen, bad things happen. But it's kind of what you make it. It's, and it's how you make it. We're going to find the audio for you because it's really, honestly, you, you got to hear this boy as he, as he just talks about life. I just want to say this. Never give up on your dreams. It will come true. It feels the same because I never left who I was. I'm the same person who I still used to be, but 
with some cool new hands. Isn't that amazing? I'm still the kid, same kid I used to be, but with some cool new hands. But go watch that video and pull it down and show your family, your kids that video, because this is a boy that also had to have a kidney transplant, which his mother donated. He's a little swollen just because he um, has the, the the meds on board to help him not uh, to suppress his immune system from attacking the kidney, which made him a perfect candidate, by the way, to be a transplant recipient. But he, he also has prosthetic legs. He's learned to walk and run using those. He plays video games. He does everything a normal kid would do, with, and, but he didn't have hands. Now he has these hands, and um, he really is a, a powerful source of what's good and um, just what's right with America. So, folks, Zion Harvey, the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show, one of Townsend's heroes. And, again, every one of you have the power to be a great uh, source of, of inspiration to others. Take it seriously. Go out, make a big difference in the lives of the people around you. Make sure you hold them close to you this weekend as well. And make it a good one, right? We can't do everything, but we can do what we can. So I challenge you, get out there and uh, make it a great life. Until Monday, take care. Be safe.